Xbox On. Welcome to Xbox On, a podcast with one host about one console, Xbox. I am said host, Jesse DeRosa, and on today's episode, we'll be talking about the latest Xbox news for the week of October 20th, 2022, including Razer enters the portable gaming market with a little help from Xbox, Silent Hill is officially back with tons of new games and transmedia on the way, talk of Obsidian returning to Fallout surfaces, and more. And on this day in Xbox history, in the year 2015, Guitar Hero Live released on the Xbox One and Xbox 360. As you may remember, Guitar Hero Live was a complete flop, uh, a new attempt of Activision trying to revitalize, revive the Guitar Hero franchise, the uh, plastic instrument living room party game that was so beloved in the uh, early to mid Xbox 360 years. I'm really bummed that never took off. Guitar Hero Live while definitely not as good as old school Guitar Hero, was still decent, and it uh, it makes me sad because there was I felt like they waited the appropriate amount of time before they tried to do Guitar Hero again when they made Guitar Hero Live in 2015. You know, the last Guitar Hero before that was like somewhere around 2010 or so. So I felt like five years was an appropriate amount of time, and the fact that Guitar Hero Live didn't take off just makes me feel like maybe that maybe it's officially done, you know, which is too bad. But then may, then again, maybe it's because they didn't do it right. I don't know. Anyway. Guitar Hero Live 2015. I can't believe that was already seven years ago. Look at that. We're all dying. All right. Hey, guys. Welcome to Xbox on episode 177. We got a really great episode this week. And I, I know I've been saying that a lot lately, but I really do feel good about this episode. We got some really exciting news to talk about. Um, we got a bunch of... Com- listen, listen, I'm not trying to bitch and moan when I don't get a lot of comments on an episode or anything like that. But obviously... I think, at least. It makes the podcast a lot better when we do get comments, so I always appreciate when you guys write in, but this week we have not only a decent amount of comments, but a a special just uh, synchronization where the comments are actually pretty relevant to a lot of the things we're going to be talking about on the show anyway, so I like that. I I always love when we get to interject the comments into the conversation, into the show, into the stories we're talking about, so I'm really excited because this week it looks like we have uh, an unusual amount of that, which I'm really excited about, Usually high, an unusually high amount of that. And also, it's just, we're there now. We're in the thick of it. We're, you know, mid to late October. The games are really starting to come out. Just a lot of really exciting things uh, to be looking forward to and to be playing right now on Xbox. So it's putting me in a very uh, video gamey mood. I woke up this morning and strangely enough, it was 50 degrees in Central Florida. It feels like fall outside, even though it doesn't look like it. So, you know, I don't know. Something about like cold weather, that brisk fall period of, of the year, new game releases. It just, it's that... I know a lot of you know what I'm talking about. It's, it's a thing. It's a time of the year, you know, Halloween, Christmas, new game releases, cold, waking up early for school or work, but being excited to come home and play the new Call of Duty, the new Halo, whatever. It's a it's a nostalgic and comforting time. So I'm in, I'm in a good gaming mood and I'm excited to talk this week about gaming. Okay, that's enough of that. Normally, we would actually start right now by going through our stories of mild amusement slash corrections and updates from last week's show. 
Um, but this week, because we're in such a, a thick moment of new game releases, I want to take a moment and talk about just all the fucking games that are coming out this week. These are games that have either already come out in the past week or are about to hit Xbox in the next day or two. And so I want to list a couple of them because, God, we got a lot of big stuff here. Like, so much so that, you know, people, gamers are going to be having to make decisions, difficult decisions. What games do they play now and which ones do they save for later and inevitably fall into the backlog and never get played, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, let's start out with one that already came out this past Tuesday, I believe. Yeah, the 18th Tuesday. A Plague Tale Requiem. It's officially out now on Xbox, and uh, if you are an Xbox gamer, it is a Game Pass title. It's a day one Game Pass grab. So if you played the first one and you're looking for the second one, boom, it's on Game Pass. If you haven't played the first one and you're one of those people that just is a sick psychopath and you want to jump into the second one, even though this is a narrative-heavy game, whatever, I'm not here to judge you. Uh, but anyway, obviously, this is a huge deal. This game has been getting a lot of perfect time, really, for this game because, yes, it's getting a lot of really high praise, uh, but it's just the perfect time because it's, it, it's it's a relatively slow year for like just big established sequels of other big games. You know, it's not like we're getting it's not like Uncharted Five is coming out right now against Gears of War Six. You know, it's like Plague Tale gets to breathe for a week or two before Call of Duty and and Batman and all this other stuff. So it it, it came out I think at just just the right time. Not only that, but it seems like the general consensus on the Plague Tale Requiem is the first game was really good. And the second game is even better. So people seem to be really loving it. In fact, like I said, a lot of synergy with your comments in the news we have to talk about this week, guys. Mr. Headhunting Halo wrote in at the top of the show and says, Dude, Plague Tale Requiem is by far my game of the year. It's amazing. Story, music, feel, everything about it is a 10. I'm loving it. Better than the first one. Hopefully, I can knock it out before COD gets here. Look at that. Headhunting Halo. He's got a plan. That was my original plan as well, Headhunting Halo, was to knock out both Plague Tale games before Call of Duty came out, so I could just grind Call of Duty really hard for two weeks and then jump on over to Sonic uh, Sonic Unleashed. <laughs> I wish. Sonic Frontiers, which comes out November 9th. But unfortunately, as it happened, I got to Plague Tale Innocence a little bit too late. It's no longer on Game Pass, and that's pushed back my plans to play through this series. And i got to be honest, I'm having a serious case of... Uh, FOMO, as they say, I, I don't. I generally try to fight that urge. I think it's a really um, socially toxic uh, cycle for people to fall into. Is this idea of like I must play this game, watch this movie, consume this media because it is popular and relevant and current. I, I feel like there's a you know there's a healthy balance with this. It can be a fun thing. Like it is fun to play a new Call of Duty when it first comes out because everyone sucks at it. No one's figured it out yet. And you can actually enjoy the game before everyone gets really sweaty at it. So like, I understand it from that angle or like, oh, let me go see that new Star Wars movie before, you know, when it first comes out because I don't want anyone to ruin the part where Han Solo dies, gets resurrected and dies again. It's like, okay, I get that. But then there's also that angle of it where it's like, I'm just pressured to experience this product because I want to be a part of the conversation and feel included. That, you know, it can be a slippery slope. So I'm trying not to let it get to me too much, but I am certainly struggling a little bit this week with that uh, fear of missing out because Plague Tale Innocence, I truly wanted to get to it before we got here. And now the sequel's out and I can't play either of them right now because I'm I'm full steam ahead on Modern Warfare 2, uh, which we'll get to in a second. So already right there with those two games alone, it's crazy. Headhunting Halo, clearly you're loving it. It seems like lots of people are. I'm really happy for you guys. And I'll get to it sometime, sometime probably next year, early to mid next year. I'm sure I'll play through these games. But glad to see it's, uh, it's not only good, but it's apparently... Great, so that's that's really strong news. Shout out to uh, Team Asobo. I don't know how the fuck they did it. They went from being the best developer that worked on Disney Infinity to somehow making Flight Sim and Plague Tale, and it's just 
yeah, they're, they're pretty impressive to Elder. Got to give props to uh, Asobo. Now, Headhunting Halo also rounded out that comment I cut it off early. Says, uh, by the way, um, <laughs> Halloween ends sucks, man. Out of all 13 films, it ranks very last disappointing. Also, build up for nothing. Also, freaking cold outside. I'm not looking forward to winter. My dinghy is in any. Have a good week. Uh, Headhunting Halo. Fun side note, I didn't even know they were making a new Halloween movie until the day it came out last week, and just everyone on my Twitter feed was just like, Halloween, Halloween, Halloween. I'm like, guys, Halloween's on the 31st. I'm like, oh, shit, they're talking about a movie. And, uh, yeah, (laughs) people are really divided on it, apparently. I got to be honest, I'm not going to watch Halloween because I hate movies with gratuitous violence. I can't can't stomach it. It Just uh, I can't do it. So I'm sorry to hear you were disappointed by it. Uh, Luckily, you got Plague Tale to keep you busy and and satisfied, hopefully. All right, we won't move through them as slowly as that one, but a couple other really notable games. October 21st, this Friday, new Tales from the Borderlands will be out, of course, on Xbox One, Series S and X, and PC. So that is another uh, game, probably the the weakest of the bunch we're about to talk about, but nonetheless notable. Obviously, people really like Borderlands. Kind of crazy to think we're getting a sequel to Tales from the Borderland when the original Tales from the Borderland was something no one ever saw coming. Uh, I'm really curious to see how people respond to this since it's not a Telltale game. It's a sequel to a Telltale game based on a game made by Gearbox. But now that old Telltale is not around, Gearbox is making the sequel. It, that part of this this game has me very interested, very intrigued. So I, I, although I have zero plan to ever play this game, I really do look forward to seeing kind of how people react and respond to this game. So that that that's interesting. And then another game that comes out on Friday. In fact, we got three games that are coming out Friday that we're about to talk about. That that was one of them. This is number two, Persona Five Royale. Uh, obviously, this game was on PS Five, PS Four. PS4, PS3, I don't know. For for a while, it's been been there for a couple of years. Well, fuck you, PlayStation, because finally us Xbox get a chance to play as a, a Japanese high school boy and date all the cute girls. Okay, we're excited for post- Persona Five. I've always wanted to give this series a try. I've always lamented that we couldn't play them on Xbox, and here we are, baby. So this is definitely 100. This is I I, I feel absolute confidence. I, I don't feel the FOMO not playing this game right now because I have full confidence. Persona Five is a game I will play down the road probably next spring or so maybe even december actually i don't know yet I'll, probably in the next couple months for sure but i have zero concern about this game falling into my backlog i know i will come around to it i'm very excited to finally give persona 5 a try now that i can play it on xbox and then the third and final game that comes out on friday probably the biggest of the three we are mentioning for the friday release is of course gotham knights which will be out on xbox series s and x remember the xbox one version of this game was canceled obviously or yeah, right? They, yeah, they canceled the last-gen port of it. And then, oh, it'll also, of course, be on PC. Uh, now, we won't dwell on this too much because this game is coming up in our news segment a little bit later, so we'll talk about it then. But obviously, this is a good, a, a big game. This is as divided as people seem to be within the games community, gaming communities. Um, it's bath, bat, it's Bathman, a, a man who takes baths. No, it's Batman, a, a, a IP that just commands so much attention simply for being Batman, uh, or you know, for what it is, for the popularity and the history it has. That it it will sell well. It will be a big game. So regardless of how good or not good it is, or things we'll talk about in the news a little bit with some performance related things, uh, uh, issues and concerns. Obviously, this is going to be a big game, like it or not. So Batman. Gotham Knights. We'll get to that in just a little bit in the news, and we'll talk about more then. Um, but I, I was originally going to play that game, but then this this fall ended up getting rounded out with enough games I was interested in that I'm like, nah, Gotham Knights can fall off the list. Although I, I stand by it. I think 
there's something about Gotham Knights where even, I know a lot of people don't seem high on it based on what they've seen, but I, I think it strangely looks like one of the more interesting Batman games, but that's just me, maybe. I don't know. Now, the final game I want to mention that is playable coming out this week is actually kind of only half out, and this is the one that obviously I'm most interested in, most concerned with. I'm talking about Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2. Now, technically, yes, the game does not come out until next Friday, the 28th, but if you pre-ordered the game digitally, you get access to the campaign a week early, so it's technically more than a week. It's like eight days early. So on Thursday, the 20th, the day this podcast goes live, if you have Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2 pre-ordered, you can play the campaign now. And let me, let me, actually, we got to write in on this one. Cronky writes in and says, I really hate this new trend of early access to a game you pre-ordered. That's such a BS pre-order bonus. That just, it's just a delay to you if you don't. It's not really a big deal, I guess, but it's annoying. Yeah, I'm of two minds with this kind of approach because I'll be honest, in this instance, I love this approach. I absolutely love this approach. I think this was so cool because even though technically I guess you could see it your way and, and you might even be right in a lot of ways that this is this is basically just a glorified delay. It's like, hey, yeah, we said the game was going to come out the 28th and that was always the release date. And then they after like later on down the line, we're like, oh, you can access it a week early if you pre-order it, just the campaign mode. It's like, that's technically saying we had the game ready to launch early. We're just not doing it because fuck you. We want to get a pre-order squeeze out of people. But in this use case, I actually find it beneficial because Call of Duty is such a stressful product when it comes out every year because, I, you know, obviously 99% of people are interested in the multiplayer aspect. That's what Call of Duty is all about is the multiplayer. But when a new Call of Duty game comes out, I'm always torn because I want to play everything. I'm one of the few people that actually plays through the campaigns. And so I always feel the stress of like, I want to enjoy the multiplayer early on while it's fresh and everyone sucks at it. And I can have a fun time playing with equally skilled players rather than just a bunch of fucking sweaty noobs that watch the YouTube videos that tell you how to build the perfect class to camp and be an asshole in multiplayer. So like, I, w I want to take advantage of that fun window, that two weeks of fun multiplayer time. But at the same time, I'm also gravitating towards the campaign because I want to experience that story. I think... I think Call of Duty gets a lot of shit for its campaigns. Call of Duty campaigns are nothing but very, very, very highly produced, well-executed, rompy action movies. Like, you should enjoy a Call of Duty campaign the same way you enjoy the next, uh, the next, um, what's that, Tom Cruise? Uh, Mission Impossible. It's basically just like Mission Impossible, the fucking, you know, whatever, the video game. It's just over-the-top action set pieces, and it's awesome. The voice acting's great, the acting's great, the mocap's great, the presentation's great. It's fun, it's linear, it's straightforward, it's nothing groundbreaking, but it's always a good time. I, I feel like Call of Duty does not actually get enough... Uh, appreciation for its campaigns, actually. I, I would say that's one thing that's severely underrated in regard to Call of Duty, if, if you could imagine anything, Call of Duty being underrated. But yeah, I mean, like uh, particularly the Black Ops games, I really love those, but Modern Warfare 2019 had a great campaign. I think the second one is is looking to be just as good, so I'm, I'm excited for it personally. I, I think this cures my weird OCD, how do I split my time with this game kind of situation. So for me, having a week to not even be able to access the multiplayer, just enjoy the campaign early, and then next week I can go gung-ho on camp on, on multiplayer, to me that, that's that's a perk. But I understand what you're saying because when you use it, like uh, the one that bothers me actually is actually is, is, is the way Microsoft does it actually um, with like uh, some of the recent Forza games or with Gears 5 they did it where they're like, Pre-order the Deluxe Edition, the $80, $90 version of the game, and you can play the game three or four days early. I, I hate that version, where it's like, give us extra money, 
and we will give you the game in its entirety three or four days early. That's That, I think, is kind of shitty because you're basically just delaying the game for people who paid the normal $60, $70 price tag. So that one bothers me a little bit more, but even that one doesn't fully bother me. That's not as bad to me as, like, PlayStation players get exclusive content. Fuck you, Xbox. Like, that. that is a little bit more annoying to me. The fact that someone else gets, like, 48, 72 hours extra with the game, it's like, that's, that's shitty, but I, whatever, I can live with that. Um, but I don't know. I, it's kind of a case by case basis. It's really how it affects the player. Um, is it technically shitty in all regards with these, this kind of practice? I guess. But for me, this actually works out in my favor because it helps me be able to uh, allocate specific time for, um, the campaign versus the multiplayer. And I, I'm looking forward to this dude. I just, whatever. Modern Warfare is not my favorite Call of Duty series. I'm definitely more of a Black Ops Treyarch guy, but Modern Warfare, I always get a good couple of weeks in with, with those games. So I'm looking forward to another solid campaign for, for seven or eight hours, and then uh, a two to three weeks of some fun multiplayer romping uh, with uh, leveling up my guns, reaching level 55, and then being like, wow, I don't want to spend $30 on a skin and try to reach level 800 uh, for the season ranking. And so I'll drop the game at that point and move on with my life, but... Those are the games this week that um, are obviously notable. Pretty big releases coming to Xbox. Lots of shit to play. First 15 minutes of the show, and we haven't even gotten to the corrections and stories of Mild Amusement. There's just so much going on in Xbox, so I think that's really cool. Oh, also, one other game I wanted to mention. This game is out now. I think it came out Tuesday or Wednesday. I can't, I, I'm not 100% sure, but I wanted to shout out this game because it's obviously not a, a big game that we've all, obviously we've all known about Batman and, and, and Persona and Modern Warfare and all this stuff, but this is a game that um, I, I've barely seen anything about it. I heard about it a while ago and then I forgot about it entirely until I saw the Xbox YouTube page post the, uh, release launch trailer for the game. And this is, this game is called The Last Hero of Nostal- Nostalgia, Nostal- Nostalgia, Gaia. Obviously it's a play on the word nostalgia, but it's, um, it's cool. It's kind of... It's not my kind of game, obviously, but because it is a Souls-type game. But I, I really do think there's something really unique about this game. Uh, and, and that catch is that it's a Souls-type game, but you're like going through this world and trying to restore aspects of the world and characters throughout the world into like their modern, fully rendered form. So you play as like... It's like a full 3D Souls-type game, but you play as an actual stick figure. Like you look like you came out of Pong. And you play in, like, this fully beautiful, real, like, rendered and it realized uh, 3D, like, uh, almost like, um, what's that game called? Bloodborne-type world, right? And then you fight these characters, and some of them have, like, NES graphics. Some of them have N64 graphics. Some of them have, like, Xbox OG graphics. Some have, like, 360 graphics. And you're supposed to, like, restore peace to the world and fight things and help restore them to their full HD rendered, you know, whatever form. And uh, I, I don't know. It's, it's, it's a cool... It's a cool gimmick. It's a fun like shtick for a game, and I, I, I don't know. I think I I find that to be um, kind of compelling, despite you know obviously Souls games not really being my thing, considering I don't have uh, the patience or the skill to enjoy games like that. But I thought this game looked pretty cool, and I, I want to be able to. I'm trying to give more praise and spotlight and shine to all these smaller games that aren't you know Halo and <laughs> Gears of War. And so, shout out to that. I, I think if you're a Souls game, if Souls fan, it looks like a game worth checking out. Seems like a lot of people are pretty hyped on it. So, that's the last hero of Nostalgia. I don't know. It's out now. Play it on Xbox if all the other games sounded uninteresting to you. But with that said, let's jump into the 
Stories of Mild Amusement this week. We don't really have much in the way of updates or corrections, so Stories of Mild Amusement it is. Guys, let's talk Halo Infinite. Today, the day I'm recording this, Wednesday, uh, 343 released a huge uh, update on their winter uh, winter update, like a huge update regarding the winter update. <laughs> so they had a 12-minute video post on their YouTube page, a whole um, blog post go up about detailing, outlining all the features that we can look forward to, and, of course, putting, stamping a release date on this winter update. So, finally, drumroll, please. On November 8th, Halo Infinite's winter update will go live, bringing Network Campaign Co-op, the Forge beta, and several new multiplayer editions. And, guys, following this video's launch and all this news dropping, I, I, I feel... Feel like Halo Infinite is uh, about to get the first really truly substantial content drop, big update that is going to. I don't think this is going to bring the game back to where it was last year when it launched, but I think this is going to bring a lot of attention back to Halo Infinite. It's going to build a lot of goodwill with people who are pretty frustrated right now, and I think it's just going to add a lot more ways to play. Obviously, we're getting Forge. That's the big one, right? So let me go over a couple of the. Uh, weirdly enough, not a lot of game websites, news websites were like, sharing this news for some reason. Like, I checked, like, IGN and Windows Central and, game, and uh, Games, uh, ga VGC, and just for whatever reason, like, people aren't posting about this, which I found odd as hell. But anyway, GameSpot was talking about it, so uh, here's their write-up, um, some excerpts from their write-up. Uh, as So basically, it's broken into three main categories. Let's knock out campaign first, because that's the thing they talked about first. But co-op campaign is officially going to be introduced into the game through uh, on, on November 8th when this update comes Um couple notable things. Obviously, this is online co-op campaign. It's not local co-op um, like we originally were told we'd be getting and then had canceled. That's old news at this point, so we won't dive into that. But some interesting updates, quality of life improvements to this kind of how does co-op campaign work online. Um, they talked about how they're trying to get away from the idea of there being like a host player that everyone's progress is tied to. So these are the quality of life updates that come with this to make it more enticing and more uh, enjoyable for everyone playing. So entering into a session will place the group at a point where uh, the furthest behind player is. So if you and three of your buddies are playing, whoever has made the least amount of progress in the game is where is how far you four will be in the game, right? Um, and then also every collectible will also be obtainable by every player that hasn't gotten it yet. So if three of your buddies have unlocked this skull, but you haven't, and you come across it in the game, the skull will be available for you to collect. And it won't do that thing where it's like, oh, interact with this module, pick up this item, and only one guy gets to do it for the whole group. Everyone can interact with objects and items and, and trigger scenes and things like that throughout the world. Um, they all, Audio logs, things like that. They also talked about how how they handle, you know, the classic thing in Halo multiplayer where it's like, in co-op, where it's like one player gets too far away, you know, progresses too far into the level, and the other guy then gets teleported up to where the other guy is. So they talked about how they expand that range quite a bit when you're in the open world Halo ring parts of it, when you're on Zeta. So you're, you and your friends can get pretty far away from each other without getting spawned back to being close by. Um, but once you enter into more linear, classic Halo-like levels within the game, once you're in, like, the Forerunner structures and whatnot, that is when it will revert back to classic Halo uh, co-op campaign where if one guy gets super far ahead of everyone else, the guys behind will get teleported up to where they are. So just tons of little quality-of-life things um, to try and make it feel like a little more, I guess, like the way Destiny plays when you're when you're going through story content together, and a little less the way Halo is traditionally played. So I, th I think these are mostly nice things. I, I I don't know when. I'm sure at some point I will in, embark on a co-op playthrough of the game's campaign. But obviously, this is the thing that I think applies to the least amount of players. Even though Halo fans love to get up in arms about co-op campaign and, and all these things, 
let's be honest, the thing most people give a shit about is multiplayer and Forge. So that's where I want to focus the bulk of our time talking about. So Forge, they talked about how the big thing for them, what they see as being the biggest innovation to Forge in Halo Infinite is how, whereas in Halo 5, a player could create with up to 1,600 objects in a, in a created level map, in Halo Infinite, that number has been risen to 7,000 objects per map. So the amount of ways people can decorate and build out a level is just vastly scaled up to a point where you can just make levels so much more detailed, so much more dynamic. Also, they talked about scaling objects, which we already heard about in the last Forge video and just showed off some more examples of how that can help you get really creative with the level design. Um, and then they also talked about how these are the bigger things, I think, um, how visual scripting is a huge part, really diving into how players will be able to uh, tinker with all the variables allowing, you know, the game to kind of function the way the player envisions it rather than just being like, hey, I made a big box for you to play in, but you have to play under the rules of Halo Infinite. It's like, well, no, no, no. Now we can kind of script things and make our own little games within Halo Infinite. Um, they also talked about how there are six canvases, like backdrops for you to work on, uh, like one in outer space, one in a forerunner structure, structure, one underwater, things like that. So you can kind of have like a, a foundation to build on top of. And then they talked about how bots are also going to be supported in Forge for the first time. So that's uh, really cool stuff. Uh, honestly, I'm just excited to finally get my hands on Forge. Um, the real big shot in the uh, shot in the shot in the face here from 343 is that, of course, of course, they would put this update out. The day before Sonic Frontiers releases, how fucking dare they? Or is it the same day? Sonic Frontiers is November 8th or is it November 9th? Oh shit, it's the same day as Sonic Frontiers. Oh my god, how could they do it? So, I don't know what to say. I'm going to be playing Sonic Frontiers this day. I'm not going to be playing Halo Infinite's Forge mode, which breaks my heart to admit, but I, you know, there's only so much time in a day. It's a Tuesday. I have to work that day after all, so fuck me. I guess it is what it is, but um... Yeah, I mean, it's a busy time of year. That's how it goes. Lastly, they talked about multiplayer. So I won't get into this too much more other than to say that um, Forge-created maps are coming into multiplayer. So they have two new maps. They're both created in Forge. The first is Argyle, which is an enclosed map set in a forerunner structure. Reminds me a lot of that, oh, my God, my mind's blanking, that Halo uh, 3 map that I, I can't even say it. Uh, but it also has, like, a teleportation uh, section of the map. So... Kind of bringing back a lot of Halo 3 looks and feels through this map. I'm really looking forward to trying this. The other one is their big team battle map, which is uh, called Detachment. It's set in a UNSC base. Um, or that's the one with the teleporter. Argyle is just a uh, classic uh, like close quarter Slayer match or, or uh, map. Um, regular medium-sized map. Uh, I thought the maps looked very good aesthetically. Um, I, I don't know. I'm looking forward to playing them. I feel like Halo Infinite's biggest weakness so far has been its map variety. and it's just The game doesn't really have a map that I think is just like, oh, fuck yeah, I love this map. They have some... Their maps in Halo Infinite, in my opinion, range from bad to okay. You know, like bad to okay. I, Halo Infinite desperately needs like a great map, and I'm hoping, you know, between one of these two, that we finally get a really good map. But I we'll have to see. Oh, they also said there's a new there's a new map. There are a new mode, a new asymmetrical mode called uh, Covert One Flag. Uh, one team defends the flag, the other team attacks to claim it, and the attacks the attackers will have unlimited active camo, while defenders have infinite supply of threat sensors. So, I, I appreciate the unique twist on this mode, and look forward to giving that a go. Although can't imagine this will be a huge draw but oh yeah last thing they talked about was xp talking about how finally um they're they're going to be 
changing the XP, sorry, changing the XP system so that it's more dynamic based on your performance in the game. So if you win a match, you get extra XP. If you're like an MVP on your team, you get extra XP. More ways to get extra XP. Grind through your battle pass faster and be rewarded for playing and not just for grinding challenges or just getting through a match whether you did good or bad so that's great uh they talked about how the winter update is going to have a 30-tier battle pass for free which is part of it and that in uh january i think the the second part of the uh of the update the winter contingency 2 will be launched so it's a big update that's got lots of phases to it but all you really need to know is on november 8th co-op campaign forge new multiplayer content fucking ready for it, guys. Halo Infinite, I'm pretty excited about getting back into it. Unfortunately, the problem is, by the time this finally comes out, I will be balls deep in Modern Warfare 2 when it comes to multiplayer, and I'll be balls deep in playing through Sonic Frontiers like crazy, because God is my witness. Like, I, This game is going to be great, so... Really looking forward to that, though. Good for Halo, good for 343. I just can't wait to see this game get a little bit of love again. Next up, guys, really excited about this one as well, actually. Uh, a story that maybe we could have talked about a little more. I don't know. Microsoft has added i wrote finally but really not finally this is they actually got to this pretty quickly but microsoft has added the xbox elite series 2 controller into the xbox design lab service online so you can go online to the xbox design lab now and customize pick the colors engrave it whatever you want to do with an xbox elite series 2 controller starting at like 150 i think us 150 160 uh, so you can choose colors for every element of the controller you can the only thing you can't tr uh, change I, I played around with this a lot last night i tried to design a controller you can't change the grips the handles on, on the elite series 2 you know how the elite series 2 grips have like are like black grip rubber grip uh, you cannot change the color of that. That is what it is. Uh, much like the new white controller that came out, how the grips are still black despite the controller otherwise being white. It's like that when you customize your own Elite controller, you cannot change the black grips. Uh, but everything else is customizable. You can even buy an accessories case with all colorized different kinds of uh, accessories, the back paddles, the different analog sticks and D-pad, everything. So really cool stuff. I'm definitely going to get one of these pretty soon. I'm just having a hard time creating the perfect um, controller that I'm really in love with. So... I want to do more of like a cotton candy thing, like a like a pinkish blue thing, but I, they they don't let you use enough of the uh, of the blue I like. So it's listen, I'm working through it. But guys, it's out. It's op. It's a uh, it's awesome. Um, if you want to do all the accessories and everything with the controller, instead of 150 US, it is uh, 210, which I think is pretty good. They're really not pricing it up for you custom making an elite controller which i think is just such a great value so if you haven't got an elite series controller yet i think now is kind of the time to cave and do it i was gonna wait till they made a, a version three based on the series x controller model but i fuck it i'm gonna cave and buy one of these because i, I really want a custom made elite controller i think that's just so cool so that is out now uh go check it out i i played around with it for 30 minutes it's a lot of fun and um let's move on so we have a lot of, spoiler alert, a lot of Silent Hill news to get into uh, during the main news segment, but let's talk about Silent Hill's biggest counterpart's biggest competitor, Resident Evil, for a brief second, because, update, VGC have announced that the next Resident Evil showcase will air on October 20th, so that is the day this podcast is going live, that is a day after all the Silent Hill news got dropped, so... Uh, the day this podcast goes live on the 20th, Capcom will be having a showcase where they're going to go over Resident Evil 4 Remake, talk about all the news and all that, uh, which has now been dated, uh, the, the event and everything. So uh, I think it's at like 6 o'clock at night Eastern time, so it's a pretty late event. But uh, we'll get we'll get all the information on the gold edition of Resident Evil 8 Village um, in, in the new update that lets it uh, be in like played in third person mode and all that. So 
Lots of uh, Resident Evil news coming shortly after. Lots of Silent Hill news that we just got. So uh, I, I don't know why I put that here instead of at the bottom. The story is important enough to make the news. It's where it probably belongs. But um, yeah, I, dude, this is I, I completely forgot about all of this. I completely forgot Capcom even announced all this DLC and new updates for Resident Evil Village, as well as the fact that we're we're here waiting for Resident Evil Four, and tomorrow we will more than likely, you know, the day this goes live, actually, will more than likely get a release date for Resident Evil Four remake. So. Dude, there's just a massive resurgence of horror right now. It's kind of crazy to see how much of all of this we're getting. And I think Resident Evil 4 is kind of, you know, it's often re regarded as like the best horror game of all time. So I think, you know, we got the Dead Space stuff coming back. We got Callisto Protocol. We got Silent Hill making a comeback. All this shit. Bloober Team is getting popular and more popular. They got, you know, they had whatever. They, all, all, all these different horror projects are coming back or, or coming out and all, all this stuff. And at the heart of it, I think the game everyone probably wants the most is Resident Evil 4. So to see that getting the remake treatment, I think, is going to probably be the, like the, the pinnacle of all this resurgence of, of this third-person puzzly horror action game stuff we're seeing. So pretty cool. Um, I've never played Resident Evil 4. I was actually I was actually most interested in trying it for the first time on my Oculus in VR. But maybe I'll, I'll do the uh, Resident Evil 4 remake on Xbox. I don't know yet. Uh, let me know if you have a recommendation of either which way I should go. And the last thing I want to talk about before we get into the actual news of the week, guys, is uh, Halo 2. This is something really cool that came out this week. Uh, I didn't think we'd be talking about Halo 2 this week, did you? Um, but yeah, from Windows Central, a talented Halo fan has brought the storyboards from the original ending for Halo 2 uh, with an animated reconstruction of it. The reconstruction features music and voice lines from the Halo games, as well as contextual notes from the video's author, uh, C3 Sabretooth. Sabretooth has created a storyboard reconstruction as well, including videos to cover the rest of Halo 2's story as well as Halo Combat Evolves. So basically, Halo 2 was originally supposed to be the end of the Halo series. That was Bungie's intent. They were going to wrap it up and uh, all this stuff. And uh, eventually things changed. They rewrote the story. Halo 2 has like a famous story behind how it, it was just in development hell. The game came together in the last second. A lot of things changed last second. The ending was kind of impromptu. Obviously, Halo 3 ended up being a thing in the end of it also. So they had to plan for a sequel. And um, this is really cool because it takes these original dropped concepts for what Halo would have been like had Halo 2 been the end of the series. And it tries to, as best as possible, st stitch it all up and make a, make a cohesive, like, uh, viewable video out of it so that you can get a somewhat of a cinematic glimpse of what that would have looked like. And Joseph Staten was was tweeting about it this week, being like, well, this is so cool. Someone brought this to life. And I thought it was really cool. I, I watched it. I don't really want to go into it. I I'd rather, like, just put it out there for you guys to watch. I don't, you know, it's something cool to see this, like, fallen concept and, and, and let people experience it for themselves. It's almost like spoiler territory where I'd rather let you just ex experience this for yourself. And um, I don't know. I, th I think it's really cool. Uh, I, I, I just love that Halo is one of those things where there's so much passion and fervor for it that people are willing to go that extra mile to try and preserve it and understand it and appreciate it. I guess I, I say that from the perspective of someone who's just so used to being very invested in IP or franchises or things that people don't give a shit about, like Sonic. Like there are no Sonic the Hedgehog evangelists out there, except the furry community, maybe. So I don't know. To me, this is like really cool. I don't usually get to see something I love so much, like Halo, get this kind of attention and history brought forth to it. And uh, I think it's, it's really cool. It's really worth checking out. Obviously, if you're a Halo fan, Halo Two is probably a huge game for you. Means a lot to you. And I think this is definitely something worth watching. So uh, that's it for our stories of uh, mild amusement uh, to kind of get us 
get us started out, what our appetites get us eager to, to, to talk more about Xbox this week. Now we would move into the actual news, but you guys know how it goes every single week. We don't just jump into news after news. We got to take it slow, talk about the games we've been playing for the week, chill with our pills, whatever the hell. Before I can tell you about the games I've been playing, and boy, oh boy, am I excited to tell you about that. I got to tell you about this past week, what I've been eating. We keep it going with people writing in. Compassionate Choice LLC writes in and says, update. Jesse, I got the steak burrito you recommended from Taco Bell and the fries. Burrito was a 7 out of 10. There were supposed to be potatoes in it, or were there supposed to be potatoes in it? Because I didn't receive any. Also, fries get a 5 out of 10. Thanks for the recommendation. Okay, let's catch everyone up to speed. I'm talking about the Taco Bell Double Steak Grilled Cheese Burrito. Now, came back to Taco Bell. It's different from how it used to be in, in years past when we've had it. Compassionate Choice LLC dropped by the stream this past Monday. That's twitch.tv slash lightning extreme. We were hanging out talking and he goes, Jesse, I'm at Taco Bell. What should I order? I said, Compassionate Choice. You got to get that Taco Bell double steak grilled cheese burrito. And he said, okay, I'm going to pick it up. I'll let you know what I think about it in the comment for the podcast. Bye. Good night. He left us in suspense. Me and everyone on the stream spent the rest of the night. Our fucking mouths, jaws agape, agape. Jaws gapped, jaws gaping jaws, and wondering what the fuck did Compassionate Choice LLC, that's a limited liability company, what did he have to think? What did, what were his thoughts? What was his takeaway having the double steak grilled cheese burrito? Now, a couple a couple things to point out. First of all, Compassionate Choice, I did not say anything about the fries. First of all, so the fact that you got the fries, that's great. It seems like you made the decision on your own. But you gave it a 5 out of 10, and just know, I have said in the past on this very podcast, Taco Bell's fries are overrated as hell. They're not good. They're always cold. They're always mushy. The seasoning's pretty great. I'll give them that. Good seasoning. But they're not good. And so you gave them a 5 out of 10. Looks like you didn't like them too much. You see what you get for not listening to me? Now, on the other hand, you gave the burrito a 7 out of 10, which I think is pretty fucking low for what this burrito deserves. This burrito is at least an 8.59 out of 10. Okay? And you said, were there supposed to be potatoes in it because I didn't receive any no there weren't supposed to be potatoes in it in fact I know that because I fucking had this burrito this past weekend after a long silence from Taco Bell it's been months since I had Taco Bell listener of the show way of the Lao formerly known as way of the Lao currently way of the dolphin butthole that's another stream joke watch us on Monday nights if you want to get in on these awesome inside jokes anyway way of the Lao was hounding me online about how I hadn't had Taco Bell in a long time. I need to stop cooking at home, being a little, a little, a little, you know what, and go eat some Taco Bell like a cultured man. So I did it this weekend, okay? I was with a buddy. We went to a haunted house. It was late. Got to grab something to eat. We stopped by the Taco Bell drive-thru, and I picked up one of these motherfuckers. I didn't realize until this point they had changed it. And years prior, this was beef, not steak. And there were some other ingredients, whatever. But this burrito is even bigger than it was in years prior. There's a shit ton of steak in it, which is awesome and good because it's like $7. It's outrageous for Taco Bell. And uh, it's so good. It's just as good as it's ever been. Guys, I cannot recommend this enough. The Taco Bell Double Steak Grilled Cheese Burrito. If you have access to Taco Bell, if you are not vegan or vegetarian, you must try this item. It is so goddamn good. Compassionate Choice LLC, the fact that you're coming here on the day of my non-existent daughter's wedding and telling me that the burrito was a 7 out of 10 leads me to believe, and I mean this with all due respect because you've been a wonderful participant of the show for a long time now. You've left many a comment and been very kind to me and everyone in the, com- in, the in the community in the comment section, but the fact that you have the audacity to give this burrito a 7 out of 10 makes me wonder, are you a 7 out of 10 kind of man? 
You ever think about that? You go around pointing your finger at every burrito you come in contact with, rating them. But does the finger ever make its way back to you? Do you ever point the finger back at yourself and say, what am I? Because right now to me, you look like a 7 out of 10. I, I mean what I said and I said what I meant. A Taco Bell burrito has a wonderful scent. Eat this fucking burrito or you will go to hell. Now, that's only half of what I've been eating this week. I told you it's a good fucking week for Xbox One. We got a lot of good stuff to talk about. Guys, you're not going to believe it. I know I should have led with this because it's technically the more impressive, more interesting thing. But we have a standard to uphold in this podcast. We talk about the video games and the Mountain Dew in the, in the Taco Bell. And so it's only fitting we mention Taco Bell first. But the second thing I did this past week that is food related is a bucket list item for me. I'm just about ready to die. This is such a big thing I checked off the list this week. I met Wolfgang Puck. Mr. Malg writes in and says, I know why you recorded the podcast early last week. You wanted to watch that Surface event and eat Taco Bell nacho fries in peace. No, Mr. Maug. While, yes, I did do both of those things at separate times last week, I did not do that on Wednesday night. Last week's episode was recorded a day early because on Wednesday night last week, I had the once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to dine among the gods. Not entirely true. It was actually kind of a weird, underwhelming event. But there's a Wolfgang Puck restaurant here in Central Florida. Actually, it's at Walt Disney World because God is real and because Wolfgang Puck and Disney are of a similar high quality. And uh, they did a special Oktoberfest event where Wolfgang Puck himself flew in for the event. They had a one-night Special menu, all Oktoberfest-themed food. One price, alcohol included, food from Wolfgang Puck's childhood, all of his favorite recipes. They had like all these German people playing all these different kind of horn-looking instruments. You guys are crazy out there in Europe. I don't know what the hell you're doing that you think that constitutes that as music, but good on you, whatever. As long as you're not killing each other like you used to all the time, I guess we're good. Um, but guys, it was fucking crazy. Wolfgang Puck was there in the flesh. And I told my girlfriend when we got there, I do not want to meet this man. I want to eat the food he prepares. I want to be a part of this event. I want to see him from a distance. Never meet your heroes, kids. I met Wolfgang Puck, and it was terrifying. Listen, first of all, you got to understand this context. My girlfriend and I are in our mid to late 20s. We are the youngest people in this fucking restaurant by maybe five decades. I swear to God, everyone there is on life support. We walked into a fucking retirement home. Wolfgang Puck does not command the attention of my generation, to say the very least. Everyone here is god old, like fucking beyond, like dirt old. Worst part is, it's like Oktoberfest style. So we're sitting at big tables with a bunch of strangers and servers are bringing out like plates and shit and everyone's just sharing and getting to know each other and everyone's like, mm, I retired with a billion dollars and I think uh, liberals should die. And I'm like sitting there just like, I can't afford to ever buy house and i'm sweating my ass off while i'm like just like surrounded by these old people who are just like ah we 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 left new jersey to retire in florida i'm like i'm I'm just getting started and it's it's terrifying it's miserable it's 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 creepy and not so not only am i on edge from that but now mr puck is here in the distance and what do you know the man such a fucking nice man this mr wolfgang puck is going around table to table making it a, a his personal responsibility to shake hands with greet and thank every individual in the goddamn building i don't want this i don't want to meet my heroes i don't want my hopes and dreams to be crushed but sure enough wolfgang puck made his way around the entire restaurant and we were middle of the pack he made his way right over to us after the first three or four tables 
and he comes around to all these old people and they're having conversations. I, I feel like I'm meeting Jimmy Buffett because it's just so many old people over here. And uh, finally he comes over to us. I don't know what to say to the man. I have nothing planned. I didn't want to meet this man. My girlfriend just like points at me. He's like, he loves you so much. We, he makes recipes from you all the time. We're huge, we're huge fans. And Wolfgang Pug just looks at us and goes, oh, that's nice. <laughs> and then we take a selfie and he just walks away to the next old people table. I'm like that. That was it. That was my. That was it. I'm done. I'm no longer interested in Wolfgang Puck. I met him. My hopes and dreams are crushed. I am neither disappointed nor impressed. It was. It was. I hate it. I'm, I'm miserable. I don't want to meet my heroes. And this past week, I met the man I always refer to as my estranged grandfather, Wolfgang Puck. And it was. It was neither good nor bad. And that's my story. <laughs> Food was good though. Food was really good, and I met Wolfgang Puck technically, and I have a picture of me with him. So I guess I guess it's a win in the end. But um, very eventful week as far as what I've been eating. I met Wolfgang Puck. I ate food made by him and his kitchen team, uh, and I had the new Double XL steak grilled cheese burrito. And guys, the most Xbox on thing I can say as we round out the food segment. I swear to God, we're gonna get back to Xbox. But the most Xbox on thing I could possibly say here to you right now is that I met Wolfgang Puck last week. And I ate food that he and his team prepared in the kitchen. It was great. It was very good food. But the best thing I ate last week was the Taco Bell Double Steak Grilled Cheese Burrito. And I mean that with full sincerity. Maybe it was because it was 1 in the morning and I was hungry as shit. Or maybe it was because it's just genuinely better. I don't know. But, uh, yeah. Go get that Taco Bell Double XL Steak Grilled Cheese Burrito, whatever it's called. All right. That's it for what I've been eating this week. Guys, real quick. Let's talk about what I've been playing. So, past few weeks, I've been doing a pretty good job of trying to stay on top of things, knock out some of the backlog, and, and get some, whatever. This past week, we, we had an interesting experience on the weekend. Uh, our AC went out in the apartment, and it went, it, it was a whole fiasco this whole weekend trying to get people back, trying to get people to come fix it. And so, I only mentioned that to say, my MO this weekend was to stay out of my apartment as much as humanly possible, because you think it's hot in Florida? Imagine being inside a Florida apartment with no AC. So our, our objective, and the funniest part of all of it is we finally got our AC fixed this past Monday. And then the next goddamn day, a cold front came in. And now it feels like fall outside. It's beautiful. Crack open a window, turn the AC off. It's 50 degrees. It's perfect outside. But of course, our AC broke like three or four days before that happened. Anyway, uh, that is just to say... I did not spend a lot of time this weekend at home playing, which is, you know, the weekend is when I do my most gaming. And uh, so I, I don't have much to report on because I didn't want to sweat to death in front of my TV. Uh, but I did get a little bit of gaming time in throughout the week. And obviously the big thing I want to talk about is the big game that launched last week, which a lot of you have written, uh, or sorry, some of you have written in about, and uh, I've, gotten, I've seen a lot of just feedback in the Xbox community. A lot of people excited about and talking about this game. Scorn. Scorn, uh, let, let me, Acting Basher wrote in, I think he, he sums it up perfectly. Let's, let's, let's let Acting Basher say it from his perspective. And says, so, I just officially beat Scorn last night. It took me exactly ten and a half hours. I personally thought it was an amazing game. Uh, the lighting and atmosphere to the creepy vibes uh, you get walking down the corridors. As of right now, it is sitting probably in the top five games I beat this year. And that's before I start Plague Tale, which will no doubt be my number one game by far. Whoever has not checked out Scorn should definitely do so. Acting Basher, that is very high praise, and I'm, first of all, glad you really enjoyed it. Um, I have to concur with some specifics here from you where you say, the lighting and atmosphere to the creepy vibes that you get walking down tight corridors. Yeah, 
That is the best thing about scoring. This game is visually beautiful. It is, and, and this is the thing. I'm not talking about in the typical video game sense. I'm not talking about like when you play Gears 5, and you're like, wow, these graphics are really good. No, no, no. Scorn is not beautiful in that way. I mean, graphics are great. Don't get me wrong. Scorn is beautiful because it feels like you are walking through every beautiful painting ever. It is just every environment is so insanely packed with fine detail. And it's not like fine detail, like, oh, look, they put a label on the soda can. You can read the nutrition facts. What, what, like, what, art, what art designer thought it was so important to make sure this can of Coke had nutrition facts on it in this first-person shooter? I'm not talking about that kind of detail. It's just like, oh, look at that. That's fun. I'm talking about like every little square inch of the game is so finely done with this art style, this um, humanoid, this like, bot, like corporal meets techie kind of like um, what, what's this game? The our Geiger, what's the guy, the guy that does aliens, the guy, you know, the, the famous artist, that kind of art style that the game is clearly inspired by, um, that doesn't shy away from being inspired by. And yeah, it, it, it shows like the game's art style is absolutely stunning. And to me, art style is always way more impressive than graphics. You know, like I look at a game like the legend of Zelda wind waker that got a lot of shit back in the early two thousands because it looked like cartoon Mulan Zelda and everyone made fun of it. But you look at that game now in 2022 and Zelda Wind Waker is probably still the best looking Zelda game to ever be released because its art style is so goddamn unmistakably good and unique and fun. And not in the same sense, but it, it, to the same effect, Scorn is one of those games I think is going to age beautifully because it has such a stunning artistic flair so unique and so fully realized to every little corner these rooms are insane like the the, the sense of scale in the game for for a game that is so small you know in, in terms of it just not being a big open world game it, the sense of scale is astonishing because you're so drawn in by the the worldly detail and i i think that is such an amazing thing about this game and i want to give it endless praise for that that be, all being said, all that praise being given, Arctic uh, Acting Basher, your, your praise being levied at it as well. I want to just say I played this game for about 45 minutes and deleted it from my hard drive. This game is way too puzzle heavy for me. Uh, it, it takes someone with the ability to use a brain to, to get through it or the patience to use walkthroughs. And it's just not my speed. It's not my kind of game. It's not the thing I want to play. I have so much appreciation for this game. I, I have not felt this way about a game since Cuphead came out, where I just have nothing but great things to say about what a what a great game it technically is, how beautiful it is to look at, and how much I don't want to play it. Scorn is a really cool-looking game. If, if you are the kind of person who can stomach that and use enough of a brain to get, get through puzzles and ha exercise that level of patience, and you like horror and you like slow, methodical games, beautifully crafted games like this, I think you're in for an absolute treat with Scorn. But if you're like me and your most anticipated game at this very moment is Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2, the game where the objective is to shoot, die so fast that you forget you died, and then shoot again, rinse, repeat for 300 hours online then yeah, Scorn is not your game. <laughs> very, very, uh, you gotta be very clear about that, but I, I do have just so much respect for this game. It is really pretty. I wish it were more my kind of game because I, I want to admire, I want to be able to experience what everyone's loving about it, but I just gotta be honest with the kind of gamer I am, and this is just not it for me. But yeah, that's the main thing. I also tried out Proteus this this week, and I don't have too much to say about that. Another, another game I, I only played for about an hour, but I, I don't know, I, I knew this was a Doom-like game, 
I didn't know it was this cool. I fucking love Proteus. This game is awesome. I Again, the art style is the thing that gets me the most. It's this perfect blend of, like, modern shooter with, like, this filter of, like, classic Doom 2 kind of... Uh, I don't know. It looks kind of like when you play, like, HD modern 2D games and they put, like, a, a CRT filter over it. It feels like I'm playing, like, a modern first-person shooter with a Doom 2 modded, like, filter put over it and i just i love it so much and it, it plays you know i don't know i've always played doom I've, I've i grew up playing doom but i feel like i'm just not i'm not like a a really well uh like red player of the doom franchise like to really talk about it in a nuanced manner to me it just feels like a love letter to doom uh but with ads which i appreciate and uh, it's a it's a little more like backtracking and find your way around than maybe I remember, but I think that is kind of how Doom always was, at least Doom One, maybe if I'm not mistaken. But yeah, this is definitely a game. It's one of those games where it's like ah, I shouldn't have tried this now because there's no chance in hell I'm gonna get back to it anytime soon. But I, I I played enough of it to know this is a good game I want to get back to at some point. But not not right now with everything that's going on. I, I'll I'll have to put it down. But Proteus is yeah, dude. I took me a couple weeks to get around to it after you know after it came out in September but shit this is this is good stuff but that's really that's really it for me the only other thing I did was I finished playing GI Joe Operation Blackout my girlfriend and I have been playing that on and off on co-op finally rolled credits on that nothing to say there I I enjoy that game but it is not a good game it is a D tier Gears of War mission based knockoff GI Joe cash grab that is a uh, I, I have zero regrets about playing it, but I have zero ability to recommend it to anyone. But uh, it's fun. I'm glad I played it. <laughs> and uh, that's that's it for what I've been playing this week. Guys, next week, I'm going to get back to you with my impressions on the Modern Warfare 2 campaign. And that's what I'm really excited about. And then the week after that, we'll have multiplayer and Halo and, and Sonic Frontiers. And, oh, it's getting good. But for this week, that's it for what I've been playing. Guys... I think I've held you off long enough, 55 minutes. Let's just do it. Let's get into the actual news this week. There's plenty of it. Um, so without further ado, cue up the transition sound. All right, we are back with the news, although you, uh, to you it's just like a, a second because we didn't, we didn't really take a break. I don't know. Whatever. Guys, let's jump into it. We got a lot of news to get through this week. Starting out with the, uh, technically this maybe shouldn't be the first story, but it's the, it's, the, it's the one I'm most excited about. And I don't really know why. Maybe it's because I'm always interested in like the second tier of the off-brand thing. I don't, I don't know. But Razer announced a new portable device this week that a lot of people seem down on, but I actually personally think it looks quite cool. Let's get into it. So this is reported from Windows Central. Hot off the heels of the expensive Logitech G Cloud. Fuck that device. Tencent's involved. Anyway, Razer may have already made Logitech's recent efforts obsolete. First, he's back at Mobile World Congress in September. Verizon has detailed collaboration with Razer, dubbed the Razer Edge 5G, terrible name, built from the ground up for native Android gaming with streaming devices via xCloud, NVIDIA GeForce, and Steam Link as side options. Here's everything you need to know about the intriguing handheld. The first thing is the dedicated Android handheld to sport a, it will sport a Snapdragon G3X Gen 1 gaming platform, which is an offshoot of Qualcomm's mobile processor optimized for games. Verizon is also throwing a 5G ultra wideband weight behind the handheld, but thankfully there are options between Wi-Fi versions and a more expensive Verizon exclusive 5G version you can slap a SIM card in for true wireless mobility. Whether you're playing games like League of Legends, Wild Rift, Genshin Impact, or Call of Duty Mobile, the Razer Edge 5G could be the true ultimate Android gaming handheld experience, furthermore, further supported by services like Game Pass. Um, 
for scenarios where cloud gaming is viable. Now, the Razer Edge promises to be an Android native first first option with pricing starting at $400 US in a world where mobile gaming is growing in uh, in quality, it might be the right device for the at the right time. Razer announced that the product is a uh, will be shown at full on October 15th, which already happened, blah blah blah. Um, the device will adopt two price designs, or sorry, a two-piece design. Sorry, I can't read. With a standalone tablet being the main component, which separates from its Nintendo Switch-like Joy-Con controllers. Each Razer Edge ships with a Razer Kishi V2 Pro, which is a revised version of the mobile gamepad designed to operate on a native controller for the device. Razer has stated that its plans to launch the Razer Edge in January 2023, with the 5G and separate Wi-Fi model um, being planned at that at this time. With only sorry, with a 5G and separate Wi-Fi model planned at this time. Uh, both versions, the 5G and the Wi-Fi model, will be U.S. exclusive with its Verizon partnership, tying the 5G model exclusively with the carrier. The Razer Edge Wi-Fi starts at 400 bucks, while the 5G pricing is still yet to be confirmed. Now, I want to say right off the bat, I feel like the two things that are going to work against this device are one, only launching in the U.S. at start, and two, partnering with Verizon to do this 5G version. I think this is kind of stupid. If you did unlocked, you can slap a SIM card from any mobile carrier in it. And if you launch it in at least a couple markets, I feel like this has potential in Europe and in Australia and stuff at the very least. Uh, I, I always think you should go after those markets if you're using Xbox as a big selling point because those are markets where Xbox does quite well. Uh, but avoiding every other market and just solely focusing on the US, I think is a mistake. A mistake. I think, you know, leaving out uh, like the Asian market and stuff like that, I think is a no brainer because you're not going to sell this device over there at first. It's not, you know, it's whatever, but uh, just, just doing us. I feel like it's a little too small, but whatever. The, the bigger thing that annoys me <laughs> as an American who has access to this device, because I don't have to worry about ever my market not being served. Uh, I say that with, with, <laughs> I say that with sympathy to those in other markets who just constantly get shafted. Um, the, the Verizon thing is dumb. I, I, I do think that's it, it gives me PlayStation Vita vibes. Uh, that whole like, hey, buy your Vita at 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 and T or whatever it was they did back in 2012. Anyway, now that out of the way, let me talk about the actual device itself. I find myself drawn to this device. I think it's really quite cool. I know that's like for a lot of people, it's like, why wouldn't you just buy a Steam Deck? The Steam Deck's only a hundred dollars more. Steam Deck, Steam Deck. Listen, I get the fucking Steam Deck. Steam Deck stresses me out for the exact same reason why an actual gaming PC stresses me out because it is technically at the end of the day, a PC and it just all the components and the things and the ways you can do it. It's like, it can do this. It can do that. I get it can do that, but that's stressful. I want the simple plug and play thing. So when you tell me, Oh, it's like an Android tablet. That's basically a glorified game pass machine. I'm like, Ooh, that sounds like, that sounds like a handheld. That sounds like a video game console. I can do that. So that's part one. Part two is I'm a little bit of a shill for Razer. I'll be just honest. I really like that brand. It's it's, it's nothing to be proud of, but I got to be honest about what it is. It, it is what it is. I, I like Razer a lot. So this does have me have me my my, my interest, my intrigue. But here here's the thing. I think a lot about these gaming portable devices because I do think we're reaching a point with. Honestly, with, with Game Pass and uh, cloud gaming on Xbox just being as good as it is. And, and yeah, as the story kind of notes, mobile gaming has reached a point, like it or not, where it's gotten quite good. I, I definitely play Call of Duty Mobile. Not all the time. I go through phases while I play it here and there. But I definitely play COD Mobile. And there are other mobile games I would be a little more inclined to give some time to if I could play more of a dedicated kind of like handheld Nintendo Switch-esque manner. Um, so as an Android user and someone who would get value out of that, that's kind of cool. I like that. 
But the Game Pass thing is the one I'm really focused on. The thing is, this announcement came at the right time for me, so that seems, I think, seems to be the reason why I'm so optimistic about it. I really want to get a nice controller device, uh, like a Bluetooth controller for my for my Android phone, so I can play Game Pass more. I, I've 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 dabbled enough with Game Pass to know, or sorry, I keep saying Game Pass, Xbox Cloud Gaming to know. It really is a great service, especially if you're not playing, like, first-person shooting Twitch games, you know? Like, Yakuza Like a Dragon. Turn-based combat, perfect. Very story-heavy, perfect. You know, games like that, I think about playing on my, on you know, laying in bed, playing it on my phone. Why not? The thing is, I, I use the Surface Duo, as many of you know, for my personal phone. It's Microsoft's dual-screen phone. And it's really cool that you can fold it, and yeah, the Game Pass app supports the ability to have the bottom screen be just like virtual touch controls, and the top screen is your game, kind of like a Nintendo DS. That's really cool. It's a novel concept, but at the end of the day, nothing's going to feel as good as having tactile, real buttons. So I've actually been in the market looking around for a device like uh, the Backbone or the Razer Kishi or something you can snap onto your phone and have physical tactile controls. The problem is there's not a lot of options out there for my phone. The other problem is I get severe anxiety over the idea of using your phone as your gaming device because you know the second you do that, first of all, your battery's going to die like fucking crazy fast, two to three hours. Also, you know that it's like that is your your window into the outside world is your phone. So like if I, if I sit down and settle into a, a one hour gaming session on my phone, it means I can't call grandma. It means I can't check Twitter. It means I can't check email or any of these things. It's like, I don't like dis. I don't like using my phone that keeps me connected in the most disconnected from everything else kind of manner, which is getting really invested in video games. It's for, it's weird. It's arbitrary. I know like, I, I don't have any problem using my phone as an e-reader, the Kindle app all day long. But for some reason, the second it gets to gaming, I'm like, ah, I don't like gaming on a phone but you take that phone you basically make it a, a useless android phone that doesn't have phone capabilities it's just a stupid tablet and then you slap on a, a phone controller to it like the razor kishi now all of a sudden i'm like hey that's like a viable little gaming handheld right there and it's so funny because it, it basically is just an android tablet with really strong internals don't get me wrong but with a Razer Kishi attached to it, which is the same Razer Kishi you would buy for your Samsung Galaxy or Google Pixel or Surface Duo or whatever the fuck you have, Android device. Or I think it even works with iPhones. So, yeah, iPhone even. So, it's just like, it's like, dude, you're spending $400, and with that, you get a $100 accessory, and then you basically buy a glorified, powerful Android tablet for $300. Consider the fact that Razer is kind of a premium brand. It's one of those a little bit overpriced brands, kind of like Apple or Surface. So it's like, yeah, it's probably like $300, but you pay $400 for it because it's Razer. I don't know. I, I don't think it's necessarily like a steal, like, oh, wow, this is such a great price. I, I agree. It's a little pricey for what it is. I, I do think um, if they could hit $250 to $300, that would be the sweet spot. But um, unfortunately, that's not what it is. And uh, I, I don't know. I still find I still find myself intrigued by it because it's like, okay, well, now I could have this dedicated gaming device so that, you know, when I because because I, I, I personally, I'm not the kind of guy who would like take this out and about. I wouldn't I wouldn't like go anywhere with it. Maybe if I was like flying or going on a trip, I'd bring it for the airport. But that that's about it. Like, so to me, I like this because it's like I can just play it at home and cover my home. I don't have to worry about it taking me away from my phone. And uh, it's a cool little gaming device way to play COD Mobile and cloud gaming for Xbox. But I understand for a lot of people, it's like, bro, why would you not just get a Steam Deck for 100 bucks more? You can get Game Pass on that 
or I don't know if you already can or if it's like they're working towards it, whatever the case may be. Plus, you got your full Steam library. I get all that, but there's something about this where it's like it's nice, it's small, it's light, it's compact. I can also take the Razer Kishi off the tablet and use it on my phone if for whatever reason I want to do that. And all of that is like really enticing to me. So I don't know if I'm crazy, but I feel like there is tech, like there is probably a market for this. And I do see a lot more people adopting this like, you know, whether it's cloud gaming with Xbox or streaming your PS5 straight to your phone, and these kinds of features, they're growing more and more, they're becoming more and more viable. And I feel like we're at this point where, you know, the same people who five years ago would have been like, fuck mobile gaming, I'm not a mobile gamer, I only do hardcore console gaming, PC gaming, fuck mobile. I feel like that same kind of demographic is slowly taking to certain types of gaming experiences on their phones. And this kind of gives you the best of both worlds. It's like a dedicated handheld device, but also... Uh, the benefits of mobile gaming kind of all encapsulated into one little device. So I don't know. I think this is kind of cool. I think a lot of people saw this and kind of shrugged it off. And was like, this is, this is dumb. Why would you buy this? But I I'm interested. I'm, I'm actually currently in the process of like debating whether or not I'm going to pick one of these things up either that, or I'll just buy a razor Kishi on its own and try to use it on my phone. I don't know, but you know, I have a really obtuse phone. That's not ideally made to fit most of these devices. So I, I maybe I can justify to myself a, a reason why maybe this would work. I don't I don't know yet, but I'm I'm curious to know if you saw this in the news. Is this something any of you guys are interested in that you'd want to give a try to? Um, let let me know. Certainly, I find it to be a much more compelling option than the Logitech G Cloud, which was announced a week or two ago, because that is purely a cloud device. Everything you do on it is cloud related. Whereas at least with this device, it is a native. It runs Android apps natively. The question is, how badly do you want to play Android? app games on your device uh, but then obviously you have access to cloud things like game pass so i really think the price is the thing really holding it back if you could get this thing down to like 300 dollars and widen that gap between what this is and the steam deck i think it could be a really attractive device but for 400 bucks i i understand why maybe it, it, people will have some qualms about about it but uh i don't know i just I think the device looks cool. I can't. I can't help but uh, just be honest about it. I'm kind of, kind of interested in this thing, and I, I, I'd be curious to see what what you guys think as well. Um, also, side note: if anybody out there has some good recommendations for what they consider to be like the superior controller adapter for your Android device for playing xCloud, I'd love to hear what you guys think. I know there's a lot of options out there. It seems like there's a lot of good options out there. I know if you're an iPhone user, it's pretty cut and clear. It's like get get the backbone. But um, for, for Android users, there's a lot of options, and it's kind of hard to decide which one. But my, my guess is probably the Razer, Razer Kishi. I, I just don't know. Uh, let me know what you guys think about all that. But, guys, we'll move into our next story, which I think is the bigger drop of the week. It's all the Silent Hill news. So this information is fresh as hell. It, it literally was happening like 30 minutes before I started recording the podcast. So this is uh, early, fresh takes on this news. So Konami held their Silent Hill stream event, which they've been teasing, working towards. I feel like all year we've been talking about the rumors of Silent Hill, who's developing games, there's multiple games coming, there's multiple shows coming, lots of stuff. And it did kind of detract from the uh, just how, how much news and how exciting this news was because so much of what they announced was kind of confirming things that we've been talking about in rumors for quite a while, most of the year, to be honest. But they held their, their little stream event, and uh, they did have... Uh, enough substantial announcements that I think we got we got a full-fledged and, and really heavy push into the return of Silent Hill. Although, I, I, I wonder what you guys, you know, I'm curious to see what you guys think. I, I, is it enough? Did they, did they do, you know, they have a quantity of Silent Hill coming back, but do they have, like, that, that specific killer app? I think we'll have to wait and see, but let, let's get into all the announcements. So, 
the classic horror game series Silent Hill, which originally debuted on the PlayStation 1 back in 1999, has not seen a mainline installment since 2012's Silent Hill Downpour. Well, all that changes now with the announcement of not one, not two, not three, but four Silent Hill games along with a Silent Hill movie that were announced in this one event. So let's break them down one by one, starting with the big hitting dog and the one that's the most disappointing for reasons we're about to get into. They kicked off with the announcement of Silent Hill 2 Remake. Now, this is the one I think most people have been talking about as far as rumors go, and it seems like everything was nailed down, down to what it was a remake of, who's developing it, all those things. Unfortunately, there's a little uh, there's a little asterisk, a little caveat attached to it, and it's not good for us Xbox fans, so... Following months of anticipation, Konami have officially confirmed Silent Hill 2 Remake, and this is from VGC. The game was revealed during the Silent Hill Transmission livestream on Wednesday, and is being developed by none other than Bluebird Team, the Polish studio behind Xbox-timed exclusive The Medium from 2021, and Layers of Fear as well as Blair Witch. The game will be released exclusively for the PlayStation 5 on console, as well as for PC. Konami said the original creators, such as director Masahiro Ito and composer Akira Yamaoka, Akira Yamaoka are said to be closely involved with the project. The game will be powered by Unreal Engine 5 and use the Lumen and Nanite technologies. So, the, I think... Right now, it's just penned for a 2023 release, no official window or specific date. But here's the real kicker. Guys, Silent Hill 2 Remake is real, it's happening, and it is not coming to Xbox. Or at least not now. Right now, the instant rumors that broke out following this news, and again, this is really recent news, so I don't know if maybe they're going to confirm this by the time the podcast is done being recorded. There might already be official word, but right now, the rumor, the murmurings online say that it's only a 12-month timed exclusive that the game can come to Xbox after a year. Where have we heard that before with big Japanese remakes that we've all wanted on Xbox? I'm looking at you, Final Fantasy VII Remake. Unfortunately, this is another example of PlayStation going, hmm, we're going to throw money at some Japanese developer and be like, yo, give us this content, fuck fuck, fuck Xbox, make this exclusive to, X, to, to PlayStation, and then, you know, at the same time, on the other side of their mouth, Jim Ryan is flying over the UK, is flying over to... Is flying over to Europe to be like, uh, boo-hoo, Call of Duty cannot be owned by Xbox because that's not fair to us on PlayStation. We want all the exclusive shit, don't you understand? We want cheap operator skins and exclusive zombie modes only for PlayStation. Fuck Xbox. And so... Here we go. This is The thing is, like, I, I think if you've been listening to Xbox on for a while, you know. I, I'm very fair to PlayStation. I'm very kind to PlayStation. I'm not a fanboy. I like PlayStation quite a bit. I grew up on PlayStation. I still play PlayStation. I still like PlayStation. But I have severe beef with this just fucking bullshit, blatant hypocrisy with the whole, like, this Call of Duty deal Xbox is promising should they acquire Activision Blizzard is inadequate and blah, 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 and it's anti-competitive. It's like, dude, motherfucker, fuck you. Listen up, PlayStation, Okay. Xbox needs to buy Activision because we need to keep we need to keep Activision away from fucking Tencent, okay? You got that, you stupid pricks? You stupid fucking cucks, okay? And then <laughs> obviously I'm just the vulgarity is just for hyperboling hyper for hyperbole and to just add to the comedic effect. I'm not aggro about this by any means, but you know, it's like we 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 need to keep first of all, we need in this world where every goddamn thing is being acquired by Saudi Arabia or China, we we need to keep Activision away from these motherfuckers. Let Xbox buy them. Fuck you PlayStation. We understand Call of Duty makes hand over fist money 
for free on PlayStation because you guys don't have to pay to develop the game. You guys just get it on your console and then get a, a what is it, like a 7 or 15% rip of every copy sold on PlayStation. Good for you. We get it. You want that. Xbox has made it abundantly clear that Call of Duty is not going anywhere on PlayStation. We all fucking know. We're tired as hell of talking about it. Call of Duty is not leaving PlayStation no matter what happens. So calm the fuck down, PlayStation. We need to let this happen. And also, you look like fucking bitches taking Final Fantasy VII from Xbox, taking Silent Hill 2 Remake from Xbox, making Final Fantasy 16 a console exclusive, making all these, uh, Square Enix in particular, Square Enix has like 47,000 games in development right now that are not coming to Xbox, and just constantly being like, this deal with Call of Duty is inadequate. Fuck you, PlayStation, okay? I actually wanted to play Silent Hill 2, okay? I'm over here as someone who grew up around Silent Hill. My older brothers love this game. I, I've seen it a lot. I've watched it a lot, but I never got into it as a kid. Now that I'm older, Silent Hill 2 is a game I would like to explore. I'd like to maybe play, you know? I'm going back. I'm experiencing the classic horror games. I love Dead Space. Newly minted Dead Space fan over here, okay? I would like to give Silent Hill a similar treatment. But you motherfuckers at PlayStation, you just can't help yourselves. Because all you know how to do is make games where dad's daughters die, and then you play 20 hours of sad storytelling, whether it be The Last of Us or God of War, or whatever the fuck the game is. And then you just swipe all the games from Xbox. Fuck you. Shame on you. Uh, but other than that, Silent Hill 2 Remake looks good. Uh, I, I know there's a lot of consternation about like Bloober Team. Like, oh, are they up for the task? They're kind of like a B-tier, C-tier horror developer. I don't think they should be trusted with such a precious IP like Silent Hill. I think that's much to do about nothing. I think I think when you're remaking a game as like Silent Hill 2... A lot of the work, a lot of what makes a game like this special, that work has already been cut out for you. And I think when you're a team like Bloober Team, which shows a real propensity and, and, and admiration and respect um, for the horror genre. And, 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 and when you look at games like The Medium and the things they got right with that game, I know it's a divisive game, but when you look at the things they got right with that game, it instills a confidence in me that they could handle a Silent Hill 2 re remake. But I understand for a lot of people are like, oh, they make like middle of the road horror games and Silent Hill is like an A-tier franchise. Don't let them make that. I, I, I think they got they got this. I, I think people are a little worried about nothing and that all you got to do is modernize this. We already know they're doing an over the shoulder kind of like Resident Evil 4 perspective on the game. The trailer they revealed is mostly just CGI. So we really don't know what the game looks like um, in terms of like moment to moment gameplay. Unfortunately, but I have full confidence that Bloober Team has this in that it is going to be fine. I think the bigger problem here is that we just won't get to play it because play Mr. Inadequate PlayStation, I want everything to myself, had to go and uh, throw money to make this thing exclusive. So, so ironic that we can't fucking open up a video game media website today for a single second without seeing some story about how PlayStation is appealing to some board somewhere in the world about how Xbox shouldn't be allowed to buy Activision. And then the next story following it is always something like PlayStation paid money to make this game not available on Xbox. It's like, okay, cool. You guys are awesome. Fuck you. But anyway, Silent Hill 2 remake. It looks good. I'm excited for it. I won't play it <laughs> until it comes to Xbox. I'm not playing this on PC. I don't own a PS5 yet. Um, so I'm not playing it, but it looks good. It looks promising. Um, not so hyped since we didn't really see gameplay for it, but I have confidence in Bloober Team. I think this game is going to... I, I really don't think, you know, Konami have been mostly out of gaming for a long time, and now we see them working with a lot of partners as they're not as heavily invested from a ground up in the trenches perspective with making games these days following 2015's Metal Gear Solid Five. They're just really out of gaming these days. 
I think Konami wants to play this safe. I think they see all the Buku Bucks Capcom's been remaking with the resurgence of Resident Evil. They see the interest in things like Callisto Protocol and Dead Space Remake. I think they've seen the writing on the wall for a while. They, they, the horror is back. People want this shit. And they have access to a really good IP in Silent Hill. And so I think what this is all about is Konami saying, let's find someone who can adequately take an old Silent Hill game, remake it, and we'll sell a couple million copies easy. And that's all they're doing. I think they just want someone to basically be like, hey, look at Resident Evil 2 remake. Look at how popular that was. Do that to Silent Hill 2, and we and we got a deal. You got that Bluebird team, and I think Bluebird team is more than capable of making Silent Hill 2 like Resident Evil Hill, Resident Evil Hill, Resident Evil 2. You see, see what you fucking do? So I, I don't know. Uh, personally, I don't think Silent Hill has the same amount of gravitas or the same amount of appeal as Resident Evil, but... Uh, maybe they prove, maybe they change that with this remake. I don't I don't think so, but I think there's more than enough of a demand and a hunger for from this market from this from this group of of horror fans and gaming that that Silent Hill 2 remake can be something quite special. If they can get this game out around Halloween next year, around this time next year, I think they'll be uh, they'll be in good shape, provided it doesn't do the thing modern games do, where it releases broken and then they try to sell you some fucking NFTs down the road. I don't know, but yeah, that's Resident. That's God Resident. Keep saying Resident Evil. That is Silent Hill 2 remake, looking good. I'm sure it's going to be good. Good luck to all you guys who get to play it. Next up, and here's the weird thing. is, So they, they announced three more games and then a movie, which we'll talk about. But they didn't talk about platforms on any of these. That's the thing. Um, so we don't actually know at all if uh, any of these games we're about to talk about are coming to Xbox. They just weren't noted. Now, of course, Konami, we know in, in recent history, what everything Konami's made in the past like 10 years or so, 15 years, they they work with Xbox. They put their games on Xbox. So if it weren't for the fact that PlayStation is obviously paying for exclusivity, Res, uh, Silent Hill 2 Remake would also be on Xbox. So without the announcement of exclusivity, it's safe to assume these next three games will also be on Xbox. Just know that this time there's nothing officially announced. So the next game was Silent Hill Townfall, which is in development from Scottish studio No Code. And will be published by Annapurna Interactive. I like those guys a lot. Quote, I remember playing the original Silent Hill on PS1 back in 99 and became a fan of that moment from that moment on, said No Code Creative Director John McKellen. It's a real honor for us to be bringing a new title to the series that both represents, this, that both respects the source material, but also does something a little bit different with it. No Code, the studio behind the project, has previously developed stories untold and observation. While no gameplay was shown, some images were quickly flashed during the presentation, which allude to the game being a first-person project. Quote, we can't make, wait to come back in the new year and show you more. Until then, it might be worth watching the trailer again to see what you might have missed. Okay, I'm not going to do that, but for those who are looking at this and saying, who the hell are No Code? So yeah, they developed those games, Stories Untold and Observation, these are like those kinds of like point and click kind of like her story games where it's like dialogue and you choose dialogue choices and like you're interfacing with a computer or a cell phone. And then like there's some like scripted moments, some like cinematic stuff. But for the most part, it's like click point and click puzzly story adventure stuff. But these games are a little bit like a little bit suspenseful, a little bit horror, a little bit scary and spooky. Um, Observation, I think, was their their second game, which had a little bit more budget to it. So that's the one that takes place in space. I don't know. If you've never seen these games, look them up. They're not terribly... They're those kinds of games where you can get invested in it, but they're not, like, super fun. And, like, gameplay-wise, there's nothing flashy to show off here. 
I think this is cool what they're doing. I gotta be honest. They're taking Silent Hill and they're like, hey, here's Silent Hill 2 remake. You know, it's the Silent Hill everyone loves the most. We're remaking it from the ground up, modernizing it. That's for the general audiences. But they also have a handful of these smaller projects that are like, let's take this IP and throw it in some other scenarios and see what other kind of subgenres we can get out of it and see what other kind of projects take off. And I think this is actually a really smart thing to do. I feel like Resident Evil could also do something like this as well. It's it's fun, right? Because, you know, think about, like, horror. Like, horror has some subgenres. It's not all just Resident Evil. You'll, there's first-person horror. There's third-person horror. There's, like, really linear, like, survivalist uh, resource management horror. There's, like, action horror, like Left 4 Dead. There's, like, um, like scary point-and-click kind of adventure gimmicky horror stuff, like Five Nights at Freddy's. Like, there's a wide scope of what horror can be, and I feel like it would behoove, you know, Konami or Capcom to maybe not explore those different avenues. And I think it's cool that that's what they're doing, you know, with, with Silent Hill remake or Silent Hill two remake, you get the proper thing that most people are looking for in the revival of Silent Hill. But with this, you're going to get something a little different, something with some different flavor and perspective on it might help introduce the series to people who might not like classic Silent Hill, but might like something a little different. So I think this is really cool. Uh, I like Interpreter Interactive. They usually only associate themselves with pretty interesting teams or games. Um, that being said, this kind of game is not my style. So if it's anything like No Code's previous works, I'm just probably not going to be interested at all. But I do, I do respect and admire the premise of what they're doing here. Speaking of that, keeping with that, the next title they announced was Silent Hill F, which is a new entry which is a, a third entry in, in the since dormant, now very active Silent Hill franchise. The game was also revealed during the event. It's being developed by Taiwanese-based Neo Boards Entertainment, the studio behind Resident Evil Resistance, the asymmetrical multiplayer survival game released in 2020, and the upcoming online game Resident Evil Reverse, which has still not been, that game's been just delayed, delayed, delayed out the ass. Um, interestingly enough, though, this is not a multiplayer asymmetric game. Continuing on, a trailer from the game, uh, was was used to show out can show off um, uh, the announcement of the game during the Silent Hill live stream. The official blurb accompanying the trailer reads: "Silent Hill F will be a completely new story set in 1960s Japan, featuring a beautiful yet horrifying world." Written by Ryukishi 07, famed for Japanese visual novels dealing with murder mysteries, psychological and supernatural horror. Prior to the Re Resident Evil Resistance, Neo Boards or so Neo Bards. Neobards? Neobards? Neobards was also released, uh, releasing games from other classic IP, including Devil May Cry, Onimusha, and Resident Evil Origins from the Nintendo Switch. More recently, they contributed Capcom 2's remakes of Resident Evil's 2 and 3, as well as Marvel's Avengers. So these guys have their hands in a lot of different uh, kinds of games. They've worked on lots of, lots of different stuff. The good thing is it looks like this is a narrative, this is a single-player narrative-driven game. I wonder if, because of who they have writing it, if it's going to be a visual novel. If it's a visual novel, I'm actually pretty into this. I'm like, I'm. This is probably the one I'm most excited for. Um, and if it's, uh, and if it ends up just being some kind of like third person story driven game, either way, I'm, I'm interested in this for sure. I think, uh, first of all, shout out to Neoboards for having a Taiwanese based developer. Just cool to see developers coming from other parts of the world. Obviously, we talk all the time about. Lots of American developers, Canadian developers, Eastern European developers, Japanese developers. Always love to see developers from new parts of the world start to, you know, get get some get some shine, get some opportunities. So seeing a Taiwanese-based developer get their hands on an IPS 
popular and beloved as Silent Hill. That's pretty fucking cool. Love that. Um, I, I don't know. Just another tonal trailer. No gameplay, of course. So we don't really know exactly what this is. But just the uh, the tone with this one was a lot more interesting. It had that kind of like bodily horror that's like very. I feel like you see this with a lot of like Japanese horror in modern times. I love this is one of the things I liked about Scarlet Nexus, where it's that kind of horror where it's like this like undead like flowery kind of horror where it's like just like flowers that have like that are like possessed but also like faces that are e- like de- decayed and undead but that also like bloom and have like this kind of like. You know, much much like that Geiger scorn art style marries like human bodily shit with machinery and technology. I'm talking about like this is kind of like Japanese horror style that marries like the like the the flora with the human and just kind of meshes them together. It's kind of creepy. It's this like zombie undead grotesque human with like flowers and budding and, and plants growing out of them. And I, I think that's I think it's cool. It's scary. It's creepy. It's fucking weird. Um, it's surreal as hell. And, and I don't know the tone of this trailer really captured me again. We didn't see gameplay. I don't know what to get hyped over, so I'm not hyped about it, but just in terms of its premise, what they're trying to go for, who's working on it. The fact that it's completely new, um, just has me a little more intrigued. So this is the one that actually spoke to me most. Let's hope PlayStation doesn't make an exclusive. So I actually get to fucking play it. Um, but yeah, that's, that's silent Hill F. And then the last game, they announced this is probably the one I had the least amount of interest. Well, that's not true. I have more interest in this than the uh, the second one, the Annapurna one. Silent Hill Ascension was the final game that was announced. Konami's an- announced an interactive streaming series. They're not calling it a game. An interactive streaming series called Silent Hill Ascension. Revealed during the Silent Hill transmission stream on Wednesday, Ascension is billed as an interactive streaming series with the entire community shapes the canon of Silent Hill. Within a few with a few details given, Silent Hill Ascension appears to allow groups of viewers to collectively decide what happens next in the story. The project is set to launch in July of next year. So that's the only game they that they gave any kind of release window or announcement to. But next July, this will come out. This one is um, also pretty interesting um, because obviously the, the idea is just really unique. I, I'm mostly just curious to see how they execute on this, like what they mean by it because it's a little vague. It's like, so how does that work? It's like always... It's like you download it like a game and then it's like a show that runs and it's like always streaming and you can like join a lobby with other people and then it starts and then as the game goes on you or the show goes on, you vote on like which choice and then it kind of takes branching narrative paths or how does that work? Is it like a Twitch thing? And like when they did Twitch plays Pokemon back in the day and it's kind of like that, like how does this work? You know, cause they're kind of referring to more of like a series or a show, but it's kind of more like a game and it's audience participatory, but is it like in real time all the time? Or like, how does that work? Where do you access it? Is it a separate game? I've, I have a lot of questions about silent Hill Ascension, but I think the idea is a lot of fun. It's, I, I love this kind of like, I, 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 I just in general find this shit to be a lot of fun. Like when communities play games together, I love when that Twitch play series stuff was happening a long time. It's probably still happening. I just don't know about it, but just the idea of like people getting to experience something that's a little, that's like interactive, but only lightly. So, and they get to like kind of play it together and vote on where to go together. I think it's, it's cool. It's like gamifying the in-between part of like halo matches where it's like, do we want to veto this map or, or play it? <laughs> you know, it's kind of like that. Um, but like gamifying it into like an actual story in a series. So I, I think that's a really fun concept. I just wish we knew more about what the fuck it actually is. And obviously we didn't see it. So like I, I, 
get again, I can't get excited about something that I don't really know what it is, but the very like the vague concept and inkling of what they did announce does have me intrigued. So I say it's a win. It's three games that I'm interested in, one that I think is probably not gonna be my thing, and uh of the three I'm interested in, only one of them is guaranteed to not be on Xbox because PlayStation finds the Call of Duty deal to be in- inadequate. So thank you, Jim Ryan. You're uh you're a really awesome guy. Thank you so much. I'm really excited that I can't play half these games because I didn't buy a PS5. Thanks. Thanks for being a team player. And, and just to be clear, obviously, I, I like to do this for the comedic effect. He's just being a good businessman. You know, whatever. It's not like Xbox doesn't hold things back from PlayStation. You know, a, bu- a bunch of PlayStation fans are about to not play Starfield next year because Xbox bought Bethesda. So let's not act like it doesn't go both ways. I just... uh. It's just affecting me a lot lately where there's a lot of games I want to play that are just no longer coming to Xbox because of PlayStation. So I'm getting a little more worked up about it than I usually would be. The last thing they announced, and this is the one I have, I don't even want to talk about because I just don't give a shit. So I'll just tell you what it is and we'll move on. The last thing they announced is a new Silent Hill movie, uh, Return to Silent Hill, revealed during the stream. Uh, it will be directed by Christopher Gans, the director of the first movie, the first Silent Hill movie. Uh, Victor Hedida, Producer of the original film is also going to produce the entire series. I don't know if it's a, a series or a movie. I guess it's a, whatever. It's a film. I don't care. Don't care. <laughs> I'm so tired of video game movies like this. It's probably going to be live action. I, whatever. If you're going to do a fun series like Cyberpunk like that or like a Mario or Sonic movie, that's one thing. But like I, I – anytime you do, you do like, oh, we're going to do a live action adaptation on the silver screen for a video game, whatever, I'm just like, oh, cool – more Michael Fassbender playing Assassin's Creed, the, the movie, the game, whatever. I don't care. Not to be negative, I just, I, I'm much more interested in talking about video games than, than inevitably uninteresting TV shows and movies. So, all right. Speaking of negativity, let's talk about our next story. Let's segment away from horror. I know, obviously, it's Halloween time. It's fitting, it's appropriate, but I am alone in my apartment right now. So, it's a little spooky. So, let's talk about something that's not scary. We'll talk about superheroes, okay? We're going, we're going back to VGC. We're talking about Warner Bros. and their upcoming Gotham Knights and the <laughs> bombshell news in the sense of how people reacted to it, but not bombshell news in the in the sense of what a big deal it is. But uh, it, it was confirmed, it was announced this week that Gotham Knights will not include performance options and will run at a maximum of 30 FPS, 30 frames per second, it has been confirmed. The game's executive producer, Fleur Marty, Fleur Marty Flower, shared the news on the game's Discord server on Friday, claiming the decision was due to the types of features that we have in the game, such as the untethered co-op and the highly detailed open world. Quote, I know many of you are wondering about the availability of our performance mode for Gotham Knights on consoles, due to the types of textures and features we have in our game, types of features we have in our game, like providing a full untethered co-op experience. It's not a straightforward it's not as straightforward as lowering the resolution to get a higher FPS. For this reason, our game does not have a performance slash quality toggle option and will run locked at 30 FPS on consoles. Gotham Knights is planned for release on October 21st, this Friday, for Xbox Series X and S, as well as PC. Gotham Knights is being developed by WB Games Montreal and led by creative director Patrick Redding, who previously directed Splinter Cell titles Conviction and Blacklist. All right, so here, here's the thing. Is this news disappointing? Yes, no doubt. Is this news kind of unacceptable? I think yes, actually. Does this news ultimately affect the game as much as I think a lot of gamers think it's going to? No. When you think about a game like Gotham Knights, you got to think about it in the same vein as like Star Wars Battlefront, uh, Hogwarts Legacy, even Call of Duty to an extent, where it's like, yeah, 
a bunch of gamers are going to pick up this game. A bunch of gamers who know about frame rate and care about performance and know these kinds of things are going to pick up this game, right? And they're going to be pissed about this or they're going to protest the game because of this, whatever. But 95% of the people who play Gotham Knights are going to be the people who are like, Batman, cool Batman video game, cool. You know, I own an Xbox or I own a PlayStation, but I only, you know, uh, I bought this one game and it came with this other game and I bought Call of Duty here and there and I bought a couple sports titles here. Ooh, Gotham Knights, you know. It's it's going to be one of those games that's going to sell to a lot of, like, mass audience, just general people who play a game here and there. And so I think the majority of these people, which is the majority of the people who will buy this game, are going to be in the I don't give a shit category of what this means. They're not going to know it's at 30 FPS and not 60. They're not going to care it's at 30 FPS and not 60. However, that does not excuse this for being the case. Keep in mind that this game, we talked about this a little bit on the stream uh, earlier this week, and and, and you guys kind of got me thinking about it a little bit. Yeah, keep in mind that this game was originally supposed to come to Xbox One and PS4, and they ended up and they ended up canceling it. Apologies if you can hear my phone in the background. MLB will not shut the fuck up, and I have to keep my phone on ring, so I'm sorry. Uh, but remember, this game was originally supposed to come to Xbox One and PS4, and then they canceled it. Dude, if you can't get this game fucking running on Xbox Series X at 60 FPS, then what the hell? Like... How were you ever going to get this game running on PS4 and Xbox One? So that's a, that's a concerning point as well. And I did see, you know, a friend of mine pointed out to me the, the these tweets from apparently like some developer, prominent developer, and how apparently, you know, in circles throughout the games industry, there's a lot of consternation about the Xbox Series S because, as you know, it is the it is the uh, it is the target performance machine, right? So when when a game is developed for modern hardware, you always have to spec and and optimize your game for the lowest common denominator. Of course, like obviously, you know, a game it's it's not too hard to meet the the performance goals for something like PS Five or Xbox Series X, which are pretty powerful. But you got to be careful because the Xbox Series S is less powerful. So you got to scale for that platform. And apparently, there's a lot of like there's a lot of concern in the games industry about, well, the Xbox Series S is not powerful enough. It's not next-gen enough. It's like last-gen plus. It really isn't powerful enough to keep up with what we can do with PC and Xbox Series X and stuff like that. I don't know how much I buy this. I Because a lot of, it's never been like a serious game. You know, it's never been like, Fucking Hideo Kojima has come out and said, I cannot fully realize the vision of my Xbox game that we're making at Kojima Productions because the Xbox Series S is such an underpowered piece of shit. You know, it's like we've never gotten that story where it's like someone of true prominence has come out and said like the thing that needs to be said, the quiet part loud, like Xbox Series S sucks and it's holding the games industry back. And... It's this thing where it's like we've seen a couple times the murmurings. I, we've seen it in the two years that this platform has now been around. This this console has now been around where it's just like, is the Series S holding everything back? Is it underpowered? I don't know. It's hard for me to say. I'm not a tech guy because, like, the people who break this down, you see, like, the fucking, um, what are they called? Uh digital foundry type guys they'll be like no the series s is a really impressive little piece of kit and it, it, it fares well with the competition and then you get all like these like supposedly like high tier developers I, i'm not trying to like say these guys are fakes like i'm sure there are some legit developers in the industry talking about this stuff on- online but where they just talk about like kind of loosely on twitter or on reddit and all this stuff about like oh man yeah it's the series s man it's hard to get games like optimized properly because everything's got to you know 
um, work on the lowest common denominator, in this case, the Series S, and it's a piece of shit last-gen console that just doesn't hold up. And I, I don't know, man. Like, it's... You really want me to believe that the reason why maybe a game like Gotham Knights is running at 30 FPS on the Xbox Series X is because the Series S is holding everything back for everyone else? I don't buy that. I don't think that's the case for a single fucking second. I think that's poor development, poor optimization, 100%. But even it, let's say that is the truth, that it is the Series S. You still want me to believe you can't have the game run at 30 FPS on the Series S and then 60 FPS on the Series X and on PC? On fucking PC? Are you kidding me? Well, I mean, I guess they do specify it's the console version, do they? Don't they? Uh, yeah, on consoles. There's no qual. Yeah, so I guess on, on PC, you'll likely be able to probably run at 60 FPS. But I, I'm going to be honest with you. This And this is what Kroenke was talking... When Kroenke was talking about it with me, um, we were texting about it earlier this week. This is what he, he brought up is like, Listen, at the end of the day, it's disappointing. You know, it's like, would it, would everyone rather this be 60 FPS? Yes. But at the end of the day, it's not that I'm not going to play this game because I, I can't handle 30 FPS. I'm just too refined of a palette. I need 60 FPS. But the reason why people shouldn't play is because this is one of those moments where it's like, no, no, no. Put your money where your mouth is. Don't support this shit. Because I can't think of a single fucking game that is next gen only that's you know, that is like, hey, we're going to run at 30 FPS. It's one of these things that's like, we're past this. 30 FPS is a last gen and prior thing, right? We are past this point of games. It would be like if a game came out today and was like, oh yeah, it's new Watch Dogs coming straight from Ubisoft. You're going to fucking love it. It's called Watch Dogs 4 Dog Watchers. And unfortunately, the game is only, um, uh, only runs at 900p. Yeah, that's the resolution. It's 900p. You'd be like... No, absolutely not. We talk about 1440p versus 4K versus 1080p 60fps. Sure, that's a conversation we have on Xbox Series X and PlayStation 5. But when we're talking about modern gaming, modern games released on modern hardware, we don't entertain notions of fucking 90p resolution. We're past that point, okay? So this kind of falls under that argument where it's like, if we just let this let this happen... We send the message to WB like, like, oh yeah, this is okay. Yeah, sure. We'll we'll, we'll send seventy dollars on an Xbox Series X game that runs at thirty FPS. Yeah, that's that's okay. And like, I don't know. Like, don't tell me that like, oh well, like the 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 guy, uh, what's what's his fucking name, uh, Mar- Marty, literally says in the quote, he's like, well, you know, it's a highly detailed open world that is up to four player co op, whatever. It's like, yeah, but like, so is Halo Infinite. <laughs> And yeah, I know that game's been development hell. Actually, to 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 my point, Halo Infinite has been development hell forever. And even that game runs four-player open-world co-op 60 FPS. What's your excuse? Like, I'm sorry, I know you guys don't want to delay this game, but like, I think 30 FPS is a little unacceptable. And listen, I haven't played a game in 30 FPS in a long time. Actually, that's not true. I just played Dead Space on Xbox 360, so maybe I have. Maybe it was 60 FPS because I think it was a game boosted. Yeah, so that was 60 FPS. So yeah, I, I haven't played 30 FPS in a long time. I don't know how bad it looks. I don't use my Switch that often, sorry. But uh, yeah, I, I think we've maybe gotten to the point where even though a lot of players might not be able to tell that, you know, might not know the technical definition of like 30 frames per second versus 60 frames per second, I think a lot of people have probably played enough modern games to where 
they'll notice. They might not be able to put their finger on it, but they'll notice if they're playing a game and it's running at 30 FPS. They'll be like, why does this game look, why does it look so choppy? It might make the graphics look bad or something. It's like, why does it look choppy? It's like, because we don't do games at 30 FPS, okay? This isn't a fucking Martin Scorsese song where he makes movies, not songs, okay? We do 60 FPS in video games because we're soap operas, not movies, okay? Okay. So, honestly, I, I think Kronky makes a good point. I think this is one of those, maybe maybe you put your money where your mouth is and you don't support it if this bothers you. You don't buy the game. I, I am firmly in the in the in of the belief that this will be one of those things where they push the game out, 30 FPS, fuck you gamers, no one cares about you, still sell millions of copies, and then in a couple months we'll get the, the we'll get the story. I'll be you'll be listening to Xbox on. I'll be like, VGC reports that uh Gotham Knights is getting an update on February 13th that will enable 60 FPS performance mode on Xbox Series X and PlayStation 5. And you'll be like, oh okay, there it is. They'll have to patch it in down the road because that's how every game is now. It's like it's a little bit broken, but good enough to take your $70. We'll fix it later. Trust us. So I assume that's what this is going to ultimately end up being. But there you go. Gotham Knights, 30 FPS. Can you stomach it? I know I can't. I'd rather world. I, I, I Listen, I don't know if you know much about the synopsis of Batman Arkham or Arkham Knights. But this, the synopsis is it's a world where Batman is dead. And you and the, you and the knights are picking up the pieces of his last thing he was working on, trying to figure out where he was and what was going on. And um, I can tell you this: I can live in a world where Batman's dead, but I can't live in a world where I know his body is resting at 30 frames per second. So think about that for a second. All right, next up, VGC, which means Video Game Chronicles has said that Microsoft has outlined plans to create a next-generation game store, aided by its proposed acquisition of Activision Blizzard. Actually, I'm actually very curious about this one. The company discussed its plans during regulatory filing published this week by the UK's Competition Markets Authority, which is currently scrutinizing the plan. We're not going to talk about that. We're tired of talking about that. I know you're tired of hearing it. Don't worry. We're not getting into that. We're getting into something fun. This is a little excerpt we learned from the filing about something unrelated to Call of Duty and PlayStation, I promise you. Quote, the transaction will improve. This is Microsoft's filing about how this transaction of buying Activision will improve various things for them in gaming, whatever. Quote, the transaction will improve Microsoft's ability to, to create next-generation game store, which will a next-generation game store, which operates across a range of devices, including mobile as a result of the addition of Activision Blizzard's content. It said, as spotted by The Verge originally, but I didn't use The Verge, I used VGC. Anyway, building on Activision Blizzard's existing communities of gamers, Xbox will seek to scale the Xbox store to mobile, attracting gamers to a new Xbox mobile platform. Quote, shifting consumers away from the Google Play Store and Apple App Store on mobile devices will, however, require a major shift in consumer behavior. Microsoft hopes that by offering a well, uh, that by offering well-known and popular content, gamers will be more inclined to try something new. End quote. This is from the filing. Activision Blizzard recently said in uh, um, that that was from the filing, not this part. This is the end, the cap of the article. Activision Blizzard recently said that its monthly active user base totaled 361 million. Uh, players for a quarter ending in June 2022. Candy Crush Maker King, owned by Activision, accounted for 240 million players. World of Warcraft and um, Studio Blizzard for 27 million players. And Call of Duty Publisher Activision for 94 million. Keep that in check for a second, guys. We talk about the Overwatches, the Call of Duties, the big games. Call of Duty accounts for 94 million players. 
whereas King making fucking Candy Crush Saga and shit on your phone, playing that shit in the doctor's office waiting room. 240 million players worldwide. That is the power of mobile gaming for better and for worse. All right. I am hyped about this story. I don't I don't know what else to say. Uh, and, and it's for stupid, selfish, unrelated to video game reasons. But let me say two things. One, I welcome this change. I'm excited about it. And I hope it happens. I can't wait to give it a go. And two, I think this plan is going to fail catastrophically. And we'll be back to uh, just regular downloading apps from the App Store just as soon as uh, they're done basically implementing this change if it ever even takes off and happens. So let, let me break it down. Basically what they're talking about, you know, Activision owns King, which is a mobile giant, Candy Crush guys. So we think of Activision, we think of Call of Duty immediately. You think a little further, like, well, they own Blizzard. That's World of Warcraft and in, in, in Overwatch, right? Okay, yeah. But they also own King, which is a mobile game fucking behemoth. The biggest player in mobile games, if I'm not mistaken. And so what Microsoft is talking about is in acquiring Activision, it's not just about Call of Duty. It's not just about keeping Call of Duty from PlayStation or Game Pass or whatever the shit you, you want to talk about that we've been talking about forever. It's also about all of the the player base and that market that Activision currently captures with its various you know divisions, whether it be Activision, Blizzard, or King. And about taking all that market, trying to merge it with our mobile efforts and our effort to put Game Pass and Xbox in a lot of places that aren't just your Xbox console. And trying to merge all these things into one so we can have our own services, our own platforms, and kind of control the stack a little more um, in our own territory. So basically what Microsoft is talking about is having an app that would be like their own storefront. Now... I'm curious to what. Obviously, this is early days. They're not. They, they're not actively probably developing this thing. This is probably like a, as soon as this deal is finalized, we want to get to work on this. I don't know how this works because listen, I, I was an iPhone user for many many years until I switched to Android in a more full uh, in a more full capacity about two years ago, and I, Apple's mantra is basically you can't do shit. If you make a cool app, we will crush you and replace you with our own proprietary thing. And if you want to use a service, it's got to be a proprietary Apple thing. Fuck you. No one's allowed in our ecosystem. That's why everything is so polished and clean and professional on Apple is because they control everything. Android is the exact opposite. Android is like, uh, do whatever the fuck you want. I don't care. Um, but one thing that Google owners of Android are, are actually kind of stingy on a little bit Apple, Apple-like about is mobile storefronts. Listen, the Google Play Store, the Apple App Store, this is like the bread and butter for for money, for revenue made on the, on these platforms, on these mobile OS platforms. People buy apps. They spend money in apps. And Google and Apple get a rip of every fucking purchase made. You know, you, you buy Fortnite bucks in the Fortnite app on your Android device, and Google gets a kickback of that. This was part of the whole reason for that epic Apple lawsuit last year. So... Here's the thing is Google is really stingy. They don't like it, and they but they'll allow it because, you know, Google and Android's whole thing is like customi- customization, whatever. Anyone can do whatever with this open source platform, basically, whatever. So, like, there are some third-party app ecosystems on Android. I know for a fact, like, for one, the most prominent example probably is Samsung has one. Obviously, Samsung is the most prominent maker of Android devices. Um, it, 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 Samsung has an app store if you buy a Samsung Android device. Uh, you will notice it comes with the Samsung App Store pre-installed along with the Google Play Store. So I, I've used it. It's good. Samsung's App Store is decent. It's just one of those things where it's like it's like Google as your default search um, search engine or like 
Chrome as your default search uh, uh, or web browser. It's one of those things where it's like it's so prominent and pervasive that like no one wants to venture outside and try something else because why why should they? There's nothing wrong with the one that everyone already uses. And so it is this thing of like on Android, sure, Xbox can create some kind of Xbox storefront that includes all the Game Pass shit, plus all the King Gangs, Candy Crush, people love Candy Crush, plus it includes, um, you know, Call of Duty Mobile and Diablo Immortal and all this shit in this one, this one app store that you can download on iOS or Android. First of all, I don't know how you get that on iOS because Apple will never allow this. They'll allow you to put an app on there maybe that like redirects you to other things and things in the Google and the Apple app store, but they'll never let Microsoft build their own app store on, on Apple's platform. I don't know. Maybe they can work out a deal where Apple gets a significant amount of the profits and proceeds from this app store. Maybe they'll allow it, but I, I can never see a world really where Apple is going to like openly agree to let this happen. So I really don't know what their plan is for iOS and for Apple devices. That's the first part. Second part is Android. I think Google will absolutely let this happen. They let Samsung do it. They let other partners do it. But I think this will bomb and fail spectacularly. Because at the end of the day, it, the weird thing is this has such this has such Windows Phone, Windows 8, Steve Ballmer era, Microsoft DNA, and, and like it just has that kind of fingerprint all over this, this, this kind of idea or notion. And listen, I love it. You know, I miss Windows Phone. I miss having the full Microsoft stack. If I could get a Windows Store app on my Surface Duo device, make my uh, my Surface Duo feel even more like a Microsoft product and less like an Android device, I'm all for it. I love it. I love it. I love it. But at the end of the day, you got to think about like all the fucking generic Joe Schmoes playing Candy Crush on their iPhones and Galaxy phones and shit and how much they don't give a fuck about Xbox. They don't give a fuck about Microsoft. They don't think about who owns Candy Crush. Oh, King, that's Activision Blizzard. That's the Call of Duty guys. Oh, wait, they got acquired by Microsoft. That's the Xbox guys. They're not thinking about that shit. They don't care about that shit. So the, I, I think it's going to be insanely hard to get that massive, remember that's the big chunk of this audience, to get that portion of the audience in the habit of and in, in, in the mood to want to use an Xbox separate app store experience on their mobile device, good fucking luck. Maybe you can get the, uh, the Diablo Immortal people to do that. Maybe you can get the Call of Duty mobile people to do that. You can certainly get the Xbox users who like Game Pass and xCloud and all that shit in there, no doubt. But remember, the majority of this, this this user base that Xbox is talking about tapping into once they acquire Activision is the 240 million people that play King Games, that play Candy Crush. And those fuck motherfuckers don't give a shit that there's an Xbox app store available. So I think this is going to fail without a doubt if they pursue it. I think it's a really cool idea, and I can't wait to use it for the three months it's exists, it exists before it's gone. And uh, I'm just... You know, right? I, I, what else is there to say? Just start looking around the graveyard. We see there's Zune, there's Groove Music, there's there's a Mixer. Okay, there's Windows Phone. Where do we want to put this, huh? Where do we want to put this Xbox App Store for iOS and Android? Where where do we have room for it? Because this is not going to happen. This is not going to take off. And I hate being so certain and negative about it because I want it to happen. And I want to use and experience this, but it's it's not going to happen. I'm just telling you right now. Uh, but again, it, it, as we cap off, it, it is from filing reports. So it doesn't necessarily mean like we fully believe in this. It, it could just be like a way of saying like, hey, here are some ideas we've thrown around to show you intentions, maybe to strengthen their argument of how 
their acquisition, uh, their proposed acquisition of Activision has to do a lot more with just so many broad things Activision has access to and not just Call of Duty and PlayStation and Game Pass. So it could just be a way to try and strengthen their argument. So they're just throwing in ideas that have been floated around, nothing that they're actually seriously investigating. That is another, you know, way to look at it. So, all right, let's move on to, man, we got, we got a, a lot of stories. We'll move a little faster because we still have like four stories. It's a listen. It's a it's a busy week. Lots of good shit happening. Okay, gamers. And this one probably should have been like stories of mild amusement. But uh, Windows Central reports that Fallout, uh, the legendary RPG series from Bethesda and Zenimax, um, the studio working on Starfield, blah 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 blah, not currently working on Fallout. Right? We all know they're working on Elder Scrolls and Starfield. Um, but we know Todd Howard has said that eventually the plan is to get back to Fallout at some point, but they make their games one one at a time, which means we're many, many, many years away from the next Fallout game, proper Fallout game. Well, Obsidian Entertainment, uh, Xbox team known for Outer Worlds, uh, Grounded, etc., um, they actually built Fallout New Vegas. I'm sure many of you know this. Beloved Fallout game, possibly the most loved Fallout game um, from, what was that, 2009? Um, widely regarded as one of the best in the franchise. Uh, Obsidian, well, obviously fans have been waiting for years, hoping that Obsidian may take the chance to work on a Fallout game again now that Xbox kind of owns the stack. They have Bethesda, they have Obsidian, you know, all the, the, the Fallout IP. Maybe now they can make all the things come together and uh, Obsidian can make another Fallout New Vegas game. Well... During Fallout's 25th anniversary celebration, Obsidian joked on Twitter that their plate was too full to work on the franchise in response to all the petitioning and fan outcry. However, in an interview with DualShockers, um, some new hope was uh, was uh, injected into um, into the, the the desire of the fans. Studio head of Obsidian, uh, Fergus, your quart, your 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 God. Damn, can't you guys just name, name like John Smith or something? Uh, Fergus Urquhart offered some clarification on Obsidian's stance regarding Fallout, emphasizing that they'd love to make another Fallout game. The catch is they would need the lineup. Uh, they would need to line up with Bethesda's desires, developmental timelines, and other logistics. Saying, quote, of course, if I ever got the opportunity to make another Fallout game, we'd love to do it. There's not even a question whether or not we'd want to do it. It's just, will the opportunity arise? I've hung around uh, at Interplay for probably an extra year because I wanted to work on Fallout more. I love Fallout, and of course, Interplay. Back in the day, Fallout creators before went to Obsidian, then they went on They went on to become In Exile. Those, those guys went on to found In Exile. Anyway, which is also part of the Xbox family, so again, it continues to all come full circle. Um, and finishing out the quote, he says, at some point, we'll start looking into those next games and what they're going to be. I wouldn't be surprised if Fallout is not on that list. If we were to do Fallout, it has to be with what Bethesda is doing, where Fallout is a lot of things, but I would always personally say my hope is that before I ride off into the sunset, I'd love to make another Fallout game. So anyway, I think that really solidifies everything fans want, everything fans want to hear, right? It's that, hey, we want to do Fallout. We love Fallout. We're not done with Fallout. However... You know, you got to keep in mind, Xbox acquired us right at a time where we were going gung-ho into, like, these other non-Fallout projects that are, like, Fallout-adjacent, but not Fallout because we're not, we don't have access to IP. So, we're making Outer Worlds, Outer Worlds 2, Avowed, all these other fucking games. We've got even little smaller projects like like Grounded and Pentiment on the way, all this shit, right? But, um... Now they're owned by Xbox, and Xbox also just bought Bethesda, and that changes everything. But you look at Bethesda, and their slate is like wrapping up Starfield over the next year, 
plus then moving on to Elder Scrolls 6, and then Fallout down the road. And the thing is, once Obsidian is caught up with their slate of games, once Bethesda's caught up, you know, with Elder Scrolls and everything, maybe they'll both be at a place where it's like, hey, maybe we can team up and work on this next Fallout game together. And I think that's a serious possibility. I think there is a serious possibility that the next Fallout game is made by Obsidian or made in partnership with Obsidian. But the thing is, regardless of whether or not that's true, I think the next Fallout game is very far away because both Obsidian and Bethesda have their plates very, very full. So even though, you know, I think maybe if maybe if Microsoft, in, in a world where Microsoft had bought um, Obsidian after they bought Bethesda, right? If the timeline was switched and they bought Bethesda and then two years or three years later bought uh, Obsidian. Maybe then the slate would look differently and they'd be able to be like, we bought Obsidian and we're throwing them on a new Fallout game. They're hard at work on a new Fallout game. And that would be an alternate universe where maybe we don't get Outer Wilds 2 or maybe for sure we don't get Avowed. I don't know. But because of the way things went with the acquisition and the original plans, we got basically Obsidian and Bethesda both on similar tracks where it's like we're both making Elder Scrolls for Elder Scrolls light games with Avowed. And we got to get those things out the door and then the Outer Worlds 2 and all this shit before we can talk about Fallout. So I think it's cool. I think it's promising that there's there's potential that it's going to happen at some point. I just still think regardless of whether or not it's Obsidian or not, it, it, we're still many years away from the next Fallout. So promising, but not not anything imminent, right? All right, next up, Electronic Arts has announced their next Sims game, which is codenamed Project Rene. Rene? Rene? Rena, Rene, Lindsay Part, uh, Pearson, VP of Franchise Creative at The Sims, introduced the game towards the end of The Sims Prior Showcase, which took place this last Tuesday, revealing a brief look at some of the creation tools players will be able to use when they get their hands on the game, which is an early development at Maxis. Quote, we're building the next-gen Sims game for a creative platform. Uh, reimagining The Sims you know and love and ways to play with them. It is said that the future of The Sims is built on the foundation of charming Sims, powerful tools, and meaningful stories. The game will let users play solo or collaboratively, and the same experience will, will be available across all devices, including mobile. And so what, I don't want to get into this too much because I'm sorry, I really just don't care about The Sims, and I want to keep the podcast going. But basically they said the announcement is coinciding with the news that Sims 4 is going free-to-play, and that starting this week, players on console and PC can download the game for free. Uh, Tuesday's showcase also confirmed that two new Sims 4 expansion packs are coming next year in 2023. But here's the here's like the the real reason for it all, right? This new game they're working on, this Project Renee, whatever, is uh, is basically their way of saying like, hey, we want to do Sims, but we want to have it be like a live service cross progressional thing. Where they take Sims, it's like, sure, you can play on your PC, you can play on your Xbox, you can make your progress, but then you can also play it on your phone. You can take that experience with you mobile, on the go, and continue to work on your Sims universe and try to keep players more engaged, more invested in their Sims world. And so that's clearly what they're working on here. Um, it's just, I, I, you know, it's Sims, so it's like, I know it's a big game, I know there's a huge market for Sims, but I just have... No enthusiasm enthusiasm or insight to uh, inject into this conversation about Sims. But it looks like that's where they're going with what this news is all about. I think this is an, kind of, you know, in a world where everything is games as a service and every game is vying for all your fucking time. I think this is kind of an inevitable smart move to do with Sims. It makes me sad because, again, no one respects any human enough to be like, hey, thanks for playing our game for 10 hours. Now maybe go outside and breathe air. 
Uh, every game is just like, oh, I, I see you're going to the bathroom. Do you want to maybe pull out the mobile app and, and check on your uh, recharge progress? Uh, oh, it's not recharging fast enough? Spend five in-game dollars to speed it up. And then when you come home on your Xbox, you can grind a dungeon again. It's like, okay, we get it. Every game wants me to fucking have a full-time job. But now Sims is after it. EA is after it with Sims. I think it's a smart thing to do. Sims is a very popular game with a wide audience. This is a great way to expand Sims into mobile. I know Sims has already been pretty pretty popular on mobile, if I'm not mistaken. So this is just kind of a natural evolution of that. Next up, let's talk about Splinter Cell, the remake. Bad news, David Griever, Grivel, director of the upcoming Splinter Cell remake, has left after 11 years and has announced that he's no longer part of Ubisoft. In a post on LinkedIn, he said it's time for him to go on a new adventure. Uh, Rival worked on Ghost Recon, Fu- Go- Ghost Recon Future Soldier at Ubisoft Paris before moving to Ubisoft Toronto and working on Splinter Cell Blacklist, Assassin's Creed Unity, Far Cry 4, 5, and 6, most recently the upcoming Splinter Cell remake. Ubisoft officially confirmed last December that they were working on a remake of Splinter Cell, self-action game first released in 2002 as an Xbox exclusive big Xbox game in terms of its historical significance it said that the game was being built on snowdrop engine which is what powers the division as well as the new avatar frontiers of pandora game upcoming star wars game from ubisoft as well to deliver a new generation visual gameplay with the dynamic lighting shadows and series is best known for it was discovered earlier this year that ubisoft toronto is currently looking to recruit scriptwriter to update the game's original story for a modern day audience whatever that means and splinter cells story centers around the protagonist sam fisher a black ops agent for the u.s national security agency's secret arm third echelon all right unfortunately this is one of those things where it's um i feel like we get this too much there was never a splinter cell remake the game was announced the project was not in development it was in like early conceptualization stage they're clearly hiring for the game they clearly didn't have things fully off the ground they were just announcing it to keep splinter cell fans at bay because splinter cell fans have been vocal loudly late for the past few years about where the fuck is Splinter Cell? And rightfully so. Uh, Ubisoft has slept on this franchise for way too long. Meanwhile, shoving fucking Assassin's Creed after Assassin's Creed down our throats like goddamn stuffed turkeys on Thanksgiving. It's it's been it's been a, it's been a while, and people are hungry for Splinter Cell. But this is why you don't announce things just to announce things and just to appease people. If you don't have a game that's actually coming in active development, don't announce it. Because now what we have is basically the head of the fucking game. Is uh is is leaving. The director of the game is leaving. That that's a big deal. That means the game is probably definitely not coming for quite a while. They gotta find a new director. It's a pretty big deal. So there's not much to say about this other than yet again we have one of these situations. These kind of it's Ubisoft we're talking about, but it's like one of those EA type situations where like yeah sure we're making a new. A new, uh, a new Mass Effect game. Just look at this, uh, look at this, this art designer's backdrop on his, on his fucking Windows 10 PC. Can't you see? Clearly, he's hard at work on whatever the fuck this is. It's like one of those kinds of announcements where it's like, I wish you'd shut up until you have something of real value to say, of real substance to show. And unfortunately, we get this instead. So, not great. Good luck to David on his next venture. Um, hopefully, Splinter Cell remake and uh, you know be handed on to someone who has real a real propensity a real love for splinter cell and can do right by this game it's it's really quite unfortunate because splinter cell is just one of those games that has so much cachet so much love so much history with xbox 
Honestly, Xbox, if you want to play dirty like PlayStation does, this would be a great game to lock in as a second-party exclusive. Maybe throw some money so that PlayStation can't have the game, so you can tell PlayStation that they're inadequate with their deals. Like, this is... It's, it, it would be a good get for Xbox, and it's just unfortunate that the only thing Splinter Cell Remake has in common with Xbox is the inability to get the development properly off the fucking ground, like uh, <laughs> like a lot of Xbox developers seem to be having with some of their projects. So uh, that's just a little bit of a joke, but yeah, unfortunate news. Good luck to David, and uh, because this game isn't actually an active development, it's very, very far off from ever being shown and playable. Um, we will just have to wait and see whenever Ubisoft is ready to properly reveal and announce this game whenever that, that time may come. A lot of negative news towards the back half. However, really exciting news towards the front. And this is our our second to last story, or ra- one of our wrap-up stories. Uh, another negative story, and I, hate, I really hate to have to go through this one, but... We haven't talked about something like this yet, and I think it's something that's going to be affecting the industry a lot in the coming year or two, so let's let's get into this one. Microsoft have reportedly laid off, this is from VGC, reportedly laid off around 1,000 employees, including staff working at the Xbox division. In, uh, Paywall through Insider reports that the layoffs have been taking place across Microsoft's entire workforce rather than focusing on a single department. And according to the report, cuts have affected staff in the Xbox division as well as those from Microsoft's strategic missions and technology organization. It's also been revealed that the Studio Alpha, which has created a, as a serious gaming initiative to make cloud-based war game simulations for military and commercial customers, is among the departments being closed down entirely. I'm of two minds with that. I, I'm split on that. I'm, I'm happy about that, but also sad for the people losing jobs. Greg Chapman, who was uh, principal architect of Studio Alpha, tweeted that and he and his entire team had been let go. Quote, well, it's been an adventure, Chapman tweeted. Today, me and my entire team were laid off. 12 years here at Microsoft and 25 in game development. Details shortly, uh, details shortly uh, once the shock wears off. Meanwhile, Casey Lemson, who joined Microsoft as software test engineer in 1998 and was most recently a group product slash project program manager revealed on Twitter that she was one of the employees who had been let go from the company as well. Microsoft's mission engineering team, which studied space technology, has also been reportedly affected with employees being told in an email that the group would be deprioritizing work already underway and that teams would uh, be working with staff who are part of the prioritization change to wrap up existing work and determine the next steps. In a statement to Insider, A Microsoft spokesperson said, quote, like all companies, we evaluate our business priorities on a regular basis and make structural adjustments accordingly. We will continue to invest in our business and hire in key growth areas in the years ahead. All right. So here's the thing. This isn't as directly Xbox news as maybe some of these other stories. So I do apologize if it's like, hey, 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 man, we're talking about video games here. But this is this is important, guys. Um, the the stories of how games are made and who makes them and what the conditions are like is part of gaming. Whether you know it's fun to talk about or not, sometimes it is. Sometimes it's sad. Sometimes it's repetitive and annoying. But in this case, I, there's no denying we got an economic storm brewing. It's it's arguably already here. It's been here for a little bit, and it's weird that we just don't see a lot of this being talked about. Um, yet at least we, we, we see people complaining about gas prices and funny TikTok videos about people talking about how they can't afford rent or to buy a house, which is really not funny. It's really fucked up what's kind of going on out there, but we're, we're in a recession. Weirdly enough, the, the United States doesn't want to admit we're in a recession and globally, lots of countries are hurting and lots of economies are suffering and it's not great times. And you think about Microsoft, uh, you know, a a corporation that has just fucking indiscriminate generational fuck you beyond world dominating types of money. 
And they're doing what companies do during this kind of time. They're prepping for the bad times. They're prepping for the, you know, Xbox, or not Xbox, Microsoft is not at risk for going under because the economy is rough. They're going to be just fine. But when times are tough and companies start to scale back, consumers start to scale back, things start to get a little tight, corporations have to adjust properly and go, okay, well, where are we spending money? Where, you know, where are we spending money where you don't have to? Let's operate our business in a little bit more of an efficient manner and maybe save more like um, blue ocean type, uh, just uh, R&D kind of ideas. Maybe cast some of that aside for a little while while we focus on what has to be done or rather the kind of more frivolous things, if you will. It's hard to call anything frivolous when you're referring to someone's job, of course. So lots of teams, uh, who work in gaming at Microsoft, some directly at Xbox, you know, completely laid off. And here's the thing is, it's kind of fucking inexcusable when you're talking about a company like Microsoft, right? So they talk about like, like the Studio Alpha, which works on like gaming type cloud-based war simulation stuff. I know for a lot of people like, oh, that's good. It helps train troops and blah, 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 for combat scenarios. Dude, fuck it. I'm so fucking tired of these like, pri- uh, these uh, American corporations getting involved in the military industrial complex and creating technologies that help like the fucking stories about like drones that are able to drop bombs on innocent civilians with the fucking aid of an Xbox 360 controller as the, as the means of input. And, and just this kind of like never ending stories of like Amazon and Google and Microsoft and like getting involved in like military spending and practices and just like programs and different technology. It fucking makes me sick. So to see a division like that get shut down, it's like, Oh, that's awesome. But here's the thing. Here's the difference. You're Microsoft. You have beyond fuck you money. Do not lay these people off. You can refold them into the company and send them somewhere else. Google just shut down Stadia the other week. They pulled the plug on the entire project, agreed to refund everyone everything from hardware to video game purchases, all of it, for people who invested in Stadia, and then didn't lay off a single fucking person who worked at Stadia. They redistributed through the company. I don't like Google, Props to Google. They did the right fucking thing. Microsoft, fuck you. This is wrong. This is bad Microsoft. This is bad, bad Microsoft. You should not be laying people. This is clearly one of those like, oh, here are people who've been with the company for a long time. They've made their money. They make decent living and they're working on projects that are frivolous, you know, to the grand scheme of things. It's not, it's not um, Azure. It's not Office. It's whatever, you know, it's like, bye, you're gone. Fuck you. This is shit. And unfortunately, this is the beginning of a lot of this we're going to see. And, you know, the games industry has been fucking crazy lately, right? People are getting paid out the ass to jump from this studio to this studio, and everyone's trying to merge, mergers and acquisitions, mergers and acquisitions. Big players with lots of money are trying to buy everything, you know? Microsoft has $69 billion to buy Activision, but they don't have a couple hundred, they don't have a couple million to pay a thousand employees a decent wage, you know? It's like one of these things. And so... Big ol' fuck you to Microsoft. I'm not going to give... I don't give a shit. This isn't... You know, I'm not like a vote green no matter who kind of guy. It's like my allegiance is with people living... Being able to live decent lives. So that fucking sucks. And um, unfortunately, I think we're going to see a lot of this in the games industry. We're going to see a lot of layoffs. We're going to see a lot of... You know, G4 TV just closed this past week. That was a huge story that we didn't talk about at all. But G4 TV completely folded... It's a little bit of a different thing because that was a stupid idea to ever try to bring back G4 TV in the first place. But again, a lot of people lost their jobs. Not not fun stuff. And unfortunately, I think we're in for a lot of this shit. As the economy is getting rough, people jobs are going to start being chopped left and right. And 
man, I, I, I don't know. I, I don't know what to say. Just thoughts with the people affected by it. Obviously, you know, Xbox, Microsoft can afford to keep you no problem, but I guess uh, money first. So watch out, everyone. It's about it's going to get bad. I feel like this is the first of many stories we're going to see over the coming year about consolidations and, and layoffs and things like that. And it's not it's not exciting. So today, some Xbox lost their jobs and that's uh, entirely unnecessary. But let's try to salvage the rest of the show. Keep it positive outside of that inherently negative news. A wrap-up story for the week. Guys, let's talk about Game Pass. The Xbox Wire has announced new games coming to Game Pass. Some of these we've already talked about. So here are the games notable for the rest of October. Available right now, Plague Tale Requiem, we already talked about, Cloud Console um, and PC. Available day one through Game Pass. You can play it now. What are you doing listening to this show? Why aren't you playing Plague Tale Requiem, you dumb bastard? Coming soon, on October 20th, we got Amnesia Collection and Rebirth coming to Cloud Console and PC, as well uh, as Phantom, Phantom Abyss, a game preview title on Cloud Console and PC, as well as Soma on Cloud Console and PC. However, on October 21st, we got Persona 5 Royale coming to Cloud Console and PC, and then on October 27th, we've got Frog Detective, The Entire Mystery on PC, Gunfire Reborn on Cloud Console and PC, and Signalis on, Signalis on Cloud Console and PC, which is a day one Game Pass title. Now, it's not all coming to Game Pass. Some of it's leaving Game Pass on October 31st. That's right, Halloween, Monday, 31st, Halloween, 2022. The following games are leaving Game Pass. So, fittingly, sadly, Alan Wake American Nightmare is leaving uh, console and PC. I guess you can't keep your own game on, on Game Pass. Backbone, leaving console cloud and pc uh base master fishing or, or bass master fishing 2022 cloud console and pc not non-guns doppelganger edition cloud console pc project wingman second extinction sniper elite 4 the forgotten city all leaving cloud console and pc second extinction leaving cloud console and pc that game will launch into game pass avalanche developed game um interesting 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 stuff that, that is going to do it for all of our news this week. It's been a long-ass news week. Guys, real quick, the uh, stories of mild... Or this is the important enough stories. Let's wrap up with these. Stories important enough to make the podcast, but not important enough to warrant their own discussion. So we got a couple few real quick. We'll run through them. First one, Windows Central reports that during Minecraft Live 2022, Mojang Studios shared a ton of info on Minecraft Legends. Upcoming game was shown with fresh footage, and they revealed that the game is coming in spring of 2023. Next up, VGC reports Microsoft has detailed Xbox's October update, which is rolling out today. Key features include the ability for players to control their TV volume with the audio and music section of the Xbox Guide, which is fucking awesome. I can't wait for that. I missed that. It's a little bit of Xbox One back in the system. And they can decide to uh, mute the startup sounds of the console altogether. Next up, VGC reports Sega have delayed their console release of strategy game Humankind indefinitely. So that no word on whether or not that's actually going to be coming. The console version is supposed to be developed by Sega-owned team Amplitude Studios and Aspire, who are the guys who are in development hell with the KOTOR remake um, announced earlier this year as well. All right. A few more. VGC has uh, reported a leaked video has provided a brief look at Ubisoft's recently announced co-op shooter Project U, as well as new details on the game. The video in question is viewable uh, online through Twitter right now and was created to welcome users to the game's first playtest. Ubisoft announced the game last month when they said the game explores new concepts of sessions uh, based on co-op shooters where many players unite to prevail against an overwhelming threat. 
Next up, Konami has announced that it is expanding their plans for NFTs and other Web3 services such as Metaverse because they fucking suck. Uh, one of the main aims for this is to create a new platform in which players can trade in in-game NFTs. Whoa. Next up, VGC reports Electronic Arts has confirmed plans to close its online service for various games in the coming months. Old classics like Army of Two, 40th Day, Army of Two, Devil's Third, Cartel will cease operation online on October 20th, which is the day this podcast goes live. Rest in peace. Never played Devil's Cartel, but I love the first two Army of Two games. Online services for Mercenaries 2, Command and Conquer Red Alert 3, Command and Conquer 3, Tiberium Wars, and Kane's Wrath expansion on Xbox 360 will all be closed on November 9th. Those are literally all great games, by the way. Mercs 2, Red Alert 3, Command and Conquer... Kane's Wrath, all of that. All good games. So that's sad. All leaving Xbox 360. I have very fond memories of being in middle school when all of those games came out, playing them on Xbox 360. Those are very nostalgic titles for me. So knowing that all of those games are losing their online functionality in just a couple weeks, the same day Sonic Frontiers comes out, no less. That's a little bit of a, a tough one. That's I don't, I don't know. There's like Not like I would play those games online today anyway, but it's crazy to just think how... God, how fast the time goes by. I feel like those games came out three years ago. Wow. Online support will be shut down as well for Onrush on November 30th, which is weird. Mirror's Edge, NBA Jam on Fire Edition, and Gatling Gears and Shark 2 on January 19, 2023. I didn't know Mirror's Edge still had any leaderboards online or anything like that, but sad to see it go. Obviously, EA has a propensity for doing it, a reputation for doing this. Everyone does it, but EA is usually a little quicker to shut these things down than others. And finally, Activision is seeking a patent and ability to automatically generate in-game soundtracks unique to each player in multiplayer games. Pretty cool patent. As spotted by Xputer, the patent titled System and Method for Dynamically Generating and Modulating Music Based on Gaming Events, Player Profiles, and or Player Reactions. Very succinct name. According to the patent's description, the idea is that players, particularly in multiplayer games, will be able to get their own unique soundtrack based on their current circumstances. Rather than a standard dynamic soundtrack, which chooses from a series of different pre-recorded music tracks based on the situation, Activision's new idea would use AI to generate entirely new music. This is really scary, but really cool. And that is going to do it for all of our news this week. You guys, we made it to the end of the podcast. Shout out to all of you who are still listening. You fucking did it. Your American heroes, your treasures, your national treasures. Nothing else to do now but to round out the podcast with a couple of comments. And don't click off yet because we've, we've got some really good comments this week, actually. So, again, really good shit. Good news, good comments, good content, great podcast. Hopefully I can do it all justice. Guys, you know how it works. You head on over to youtube.com slash xboxonpodcast. Click on the latest episode of the podcast, and you can leave a comment. You can say anything you want. Tell me I'm a 7 out of 10. Tell me my taste in Taco Bell sucks. I'll fucking bite you, but you can say it. Tell me something nice, like you like my hair, even though you can't see it because it's an audio-only podcast. I will see you're a bull-faced liar, but I appreciate the compliment. Guys, no one wrote in with any comments even remotely like that this week. But we do have comments nonetheless, and we will get to them starting right now. Starting with none other than Mr. Mojo, who writes in regarding Warhammer Darktide and says, was able to get into the Warhammer Darktide beta for PC Game Pass. Played it for two days, had a shitload of fun. It was four-player with three or four missions. Everything from gameplay, atmosphere, and the music was awesome. Can't wait for this to drop in November. Mojo, I'm so glad to hear that. I've heard from a lot of people, uh, like from looking it up online, the game is great. And that has me so stoked because... Back for Blood broke my heart last year. What a disappointment. I really had every expectation that that game was going to be great. It's going to bring back my Left 4 Dead uh, love that we had lost since 2009. I was really looking forward to it. really broke my heart. 
So the fact that everyone's really loving on Warhammer Dark Tide has me super excited. I think this game looks great. I thought I was signed up for the same beta, but I guess I never, whatever, who cares the shit? It'll be out soon enough. I don't care if I have to play it on PC before it comes to Xbox. I'll do it. I cannot wait to play this. So glad to hear you had a good time with it, and I cannot wait to jump in and play with you guys just a couple weeks away. So many games coming out. So many fucking games. Next up, guys, let's talk about Game Pass challenges and then get into some Dead Space talk that you guys wrote in about. This is a really interesting one, so bear with me. I think this one might be a little fun. might make me look a little, a little stupider than usual, but oh well. Compassionate Choice LLC writes in for the, that's right, the second time this week and says, I've been wrapping up Dead Space 2 this week and I'm loving it. It's my first entry into the franchise and it's very enjoyable. Nice. Play the first one too, please. God damn it. I'll play the second one. You play the first one. Please, Compassion Choice. Show some compassion. Anyway, let's talk about the rest of your comment because that's what we're really going to focus on. You say, also, how can you say that Game Pass is not profitable with such certainty? Phil has said it is sustainable, which would make one think that it at least breaks even at worst. It's hard to imagine that they are spending more than $3 billion on this service as a whole. Break it down. Break the money down. Okay, Compassion Choice. You've requested that I make myself look like an absolute moron, so here we go. I will do it. I believe with absolute certainty there's a 0% chance Game Pass is even a penny profitable. I fucking refuse to believe that for a single second. But let's try to break this down a little bit. So recently, actually this is last week, and I wish I had the article handy so I could further validate it, but some some of that filing report basically showed with the all the acquisition shit. Anyway, all those documents have been revealing lots of new stories. We've been talking about them ad nauseum. One of the things we learned recently is that Apparently, on average, Microsoft is receiving about $8 a month per subscriber for Game Pass. Keep in mind, Game Pass is $10 a month, or if you have Game Pass Ultimate, it's $15 a month, right? But with all of the deals of convert your unused Xbox Live Gold to Game Pass Ultimate, and all the deals of the first month for just $1, or the deals of three months for just $1, whatever the fuck, with all the ways to hack and slash and deal and wheel and get around the system and work it, Obviously, most people, when you average it out, are not paying $15 a month for Game Pass. There's some kind of deal. And so when you really do the math, what Microsoft reports internally is that, on average, Game Pass subscribers are paying about $8 per subscription. So you can't even do the simple X amount of subscribers times $15 a month because that's not even right. So let's take their numbers. We know last they reported there's about 25 million subscribers on Game Pass. And if they're paying on average $8, that means 25 million subscribers times $8 a subscription, about $200 million in revenue a year. That is just money generated from people being subscribed to Game Pass. That money is about $200 million a year, roughly. Okay. And then last week we learned that Xbox paid about $2.5 million for six months of exclusivity for Ark Survival on Game Pass. So just let's just assume it's roughly double that for a full year of exclusivity. $5 million a year to have Ark Survival be exclusive on Game Pass. Now, that is a very rough number. That's almost definitely wrong, but it gives us a close enough approximation based on what the information we do have. So that is one game, one third-party game that's a smaller game. It's not a day one Game Pass. It's just a random game that has a popular following and is available in Game Pass. Right now, there are about 100 fucking games in Game Pass. Okay, now, obviously, not every game in Game Pass 
costs Xbox $5 million to get access to for a year. Every game has different contracts, different different agreements with different publishers and developers. It's all different, right? Some games cost way more money than others. Some games, you know, they, we get a lot of little indie games that they probably paid a, a couple a couple uh, hundred thousand dollars here and there and things like that. So not all of these things are created equally. So I'm going to try to give you the most conservative estimate possible. This is really lowballing it, okay? So keep in mind, our revenue for Game Pass is $200 million a year. Now I'm going to say there's 100 games on Game Pass. And let's say on average, Microsoft pays $250,000 to get a game into Game Pass. That's a super low conservative number, right? So 100 games on Game Pass times $250,000 per game equals $25 million is roughly what Xbox is paying to get about 100 games into Game Pass in a year. But that's not how it works, because also you got to remember the most core pillar, the biggest driving factor of what gets games into Game Pass is the first party content. And guess what? Halo Infinite is reported as the most expensive game ever developed at an estimated development cost of $500 million dollars. We don't know how accurate that is, but that's, of course, after marketing and everything and over the course of the six years of development. So I'm not saying that Halo Infinite cost $500 million to make in one year. But again, you got to remember, Game Pass means you take really expensive projects like Halo Infinite, which costs $500 million to make, and then you put it in your subscription service where people are paying an average of $8 a month to access it. And then almost no one buys the game at $60 because... You're fucking putting it in Game Pass, not selling it a la carte for 60 bucks. And obviously, we do know some of these games sell quite well. It's been actually, we've actually been pretty surprised to see how well Halo has sold despite being in Game Pass, how well Forza Horizon 5 has sold despite being in Game Pass, especially on markets like PC. So, in all fairness, yes, they're making some money off Halo Infinite for, or in sales, right? But for the most part, you think about a game like Halo Infinite probably had about a $500 million budget. Think about a game like Starfield, which comes to Game Pass next year, probably had about a two to $300 million budget for a game like Starfield. You eat that cost, and then you give that game included an $8 a month subscription to your players. So you think about $25 million a year for like miscellaneous indie games, and then occasionally more than that because you're paying a couple extra million here or there for games like Ark Survival. You think about like the little deals they get with like getting MLB The Show day one into Game Pass, or getting a game like Outriders day one into Game Pass, or a game like Plague Tale Requiem day one into Game Pass. That's not $250,000, that's a couple million dollars per game on those kinds of deals. You think about that, you add it up. You think about a game like Redfall, a game like Starfield, a game like Halo, games that Microsoft has to front the development cost for, and then put that game on Game Pass and mostly don't sell it, people, a la carte. Mostly just included in Game Pass. Massive sunken cost. We're talking about hundreds of millions of dollars in sunken cost. And then you think about the fact that you have to employ all these developers you own because Microsoft owns so many development teams. All these developers, you got to pay for salaries, wages, benefits you got to pay for these massive buildings they work in you got to pay for all their equipment all of all these other things right it's massive massive costs of owning land owning development teams paying salaries and benefits all for game pass feeding all also they can develop games to put into game pass 
add all of those costs up and tell me that that is under $200 million when we know they got fucking multi-million dollar games coming to Game Pass left and right all the time. I, I, I'm sorry, but I refuse to believe that after you add all these expenses together that they are making money on Game Pass. I just refuse. And obviously, these are super rough numbers. And, and someone who knows a single fucking thing that they're talking about could come on the show and make me feel like an absolute dumbass in a second. I get that. But we don't have a lot of numbers to work on. And I'm just telling you, the reason why Game Pass is sustainable, which doesn't mean profitable. Sustainable means we can afford to keep doing this. Doesn't mean we make money off. It means we can afford to continue down this route. The reason why it's sustainable is because it's funded by Microsoft, a company with so much goddamn money that they can afford to take year-over-year loss on Game Pass because as long as they're winning the market share, that's all they care about. They're trying to, they're trying to become the market-dominant leader in gaming. Not, they're not trying to make buku fucking bucks today on it. Maybe down the road it will become profitable, but today they're just trying to break in and get a huge piece of the puzzle, a huge, a huge piece of the pie rather. So I don't know, man, I could be wrong. Maybe, maybe, maybe I'm wrong. I don't know, but I I feel based on my terrible math skills and my intuition, I feel very confidently that game pass is not profitable. It is sustainable because who else has fucking Microsoft money? But it's not profitable. I t- I'm telling you, it's not. But uh, I, I, don't know, I could be wrong. I don't know. All right, Kronky writes in again and says, hey, I agree, Dead Space does not need a remake. That's what I said last week, so agreeing with that. That's why I was hoping the remake would be more of a reboot. Seems like I'm wrong, though. The series is phenomenal. You should play the second game soon. It's my top 10 games of all time. Look at that. Compassion Choice is playing Dead Space 2 and loving it. Kronky says top 10 games of all time. I gotta get to it, guys. I gotta get to it. What can I say? Dead Captain James is writing it. Our favorite, the original, the most beloved child of all of Xbox on history. He says, I'm personally... Very happy that we are getting a Dead Space remake. I love the first two games so much, I cannot wait to go back and play the first one with all the modern bells and whistles. The best part is hopefully, if it sells really well, it proves to EA that a classic-style Dead Space game is still very viable, and they may, uh, it, and maybe they will reboot or revive the franchise. Dead Captain James, I think that's exactly obvious, you know, what they're doing, and I think, yeah, I'm hopeful as well. I, I you know, despite the fact that I'm not going to contribute to that message because I'm not going to buy a Dead Space remake, um, you know, I, I hope it does well and I hope people like you enjoy it really a, a whole great deal and I hope it's really well made and that motive is, really has their, their, their grasp over what, how to do Dead Space right and that they're given the chance to give us some kind of Dead Space 4 or reboot or whatever the case because uh, yeah I agree I think a world with Dead Space is a is a is a world where we're all better off so uh, I'm really happy to see how many how much I mean obviously I know Dead Space is a really beloved game but it's it's fun to see how much love there is for Dead Space especially in such an appropriate time near the holiday the Halloween holiday so thank you guys for writing in about Dead Space I appreciate the comments appreciate the love for this beloved game that I just uh, simply missed out on for so long but Let's round out the week with our final comment coming from none other than Mr. Temple Knight, who has some beef with me. And I, and I got to be honest with you guys, my favorite comments are the ones where you guys have beef with me. So Compassionate Choice, giving me a little bit of a, giving me a little bit of strife over my claims of Game Pass profitability. And Temple Knight with this comment, I, I really love these comments, so keep, keep them coming. I love, I love the back and forth. It's fun. Temple Knight says, I uh, take some umbrage with my statement that the animation studio Illumination sucks. I stand by it. Temple Knight says, I have a bone to pick with you, Jesse. The notion that Illumination Studios makes garbage is itself garbage. Despicable Me, Sing, The Grinch, etc. Are we all received are all well received by audiences worldwide? And if you hate minions, then you hate then 
They hate you too. And whenever you see yellow now, you'll slip on a banana peel and twist an ankle. They'll name, this con- they'll name this condition the despicable phenomenon because it's despicable that you can't enjoy a minion or two. Temple Knight, I love you. I respect you. I appreciate you writing in. I appreciate you listening to the podcast. I cannot even begin to tell you how much I fucking loathe minions. Fuck minions and fuck Illuminations. Illuminations is a god-awful trash studio, and you cannot change my mind on that. They they suck ass. Now, don't get me wrong. They're, they're good at animation. They have good animation in their movies. The Mario movie looks phenomenal. I, I hope it's their first genuinely good movie. But uh, Illuminations sucks. You just named a bunch of shit movies. Um, I've seen the first Despicable Me movie after everyone was like, just watch it. You'll actually like it. It's kind of cute. I'm like, guess what? It's garbage. I watched Sing because my dad made us fucking watch it one year for Christmas. Um, I, I, I wish that was the Christmas I wasn't alive anymore going forward because it made, it made me sad to watch Sing. It sucked. I wanted to cry. I didn't know an hour and 40 minutes could last an eternity. I, I want my time back. I want my livelihood back. I've never been the same since. I have a weird twitch and neck aching. It's all because of Sing. And I never watched The Grinch, fair enough, but I'm sure it's shit. Here, here, here's the difference, man. I don't mean to be that guy. You guys know I'm a Disney guy. I don't mean to be that guy, but I'm going to be the stereotypical pretentious asshole for a second. Listen, I get it. Shrek 2's good. DreamWorks did okay with that. Whatever. For the most part, when it comes to American animation studios, there's really not much out there. There's Pixar, which are by far the kings. Pixar are well above and beyond everyone else, by far. And then there's some other good ones. Leica's really good. Of course, Disney's good, you know, on and off. Disney, when they're bad, is like, meh. When they're good, it's like, oh, pretty good. But Pixar is the, the god tier one. There, there's some other ones, and I don't mean to discredit some others, but when we're talking about the big dogs, the big players, DreamWorks mostly sucks. DreamWorks has DreamWorks is weird because they can be good, but they mostly choose to suck. Illuminations, I don't know that they can be good. They suck. They fucking suck. And it's be, it's not because the animation looks bad or anything. It's because they make these low-brow, stupid little fucking kid movies where they're like, I'm a dog, and I'm lost in New York, and I made friends with a guy that farted, and he's voiced by Kevin Hart. And we had to meet up with Dwayne Johnston to stay, stay, save the save my, my, my owner's apartment before the mean landlord poops in a garbage can. And everyone's like, oh, it's so cute. And then all of the country of Brazil comes to visit Walt Disney World, and they dress as minions, and they trample me on my way to Space Mountain, and I die. And it's sad, and it's over, and that's how it works. And it's just it's just not a good time. These are lowbrow potty humor kids movies and I have no problem with that existing listen if people get enjoyment out of that whether you're a kid or not who am I to get in the way of that enjoy your movie enjoy your fucking movie but I don't watch movies to watch someone be like yo pull my finger like I don't I don't I don't get anything out of that okay I understand it's like really pretentious to sit here and talk about studios that make kids movies or family movies like some are art and some are garbage but it's it's just objectively fact what do you want me to tell you because I look over at Pixar and Pixar is not making this, like, stupid, poopy, kitty humor shit. I know a lot of Americans in particular can't, like... And I'm not, I'm not saying this is you, Temple Knight, because I'm, I'm not. If you like Illumination, seriously, good on you. The more things you can like in this world and not hate, the happier you'll, you'll be, and I envy you for it. But the fact that people can, like, not discern the fucking difference between, like, a movie like Finding Nemo and a movie like, uh, like fucking Kung Fu Panda... Is, it's just mind-boggling to me. It's like, listen, I get that they're both animated movies where animals talk, but, like, Finding Nemo is, like, a beautiful fucking movie, like an emotional movie. It has a, a, it has a 
brilliant score, has beautiful animation, it has heart, it tells an actual story, it has like actual themes and ideas it explores, which can like make even a grown fucking person like stop and think for a second and, and, and appreciate life differently. And like, like Pixar makes like films. Like, sure, yeah, kids like them and they want to buy plush and t-shirts after they watch the movie, but like Pixar makes films like my favorite movie of all time is Ratatouille and you can laugh all you want because you've seen some whatever fucking rosebud or some shit like that and you told me that (laughs) but like I don't know like Ratatouille is a genuinely beautiful movie you know it's it's got its humor it's fun for kids absolutely but it also like tells a really interesting story it's like a (laughs) like an actual like commentary on criticism and how everyone is a critic, and but at the end of the day, it's like about like the passion and the soul that drives the creative, and how people aren't given enough re- appreciation and respect for the effort they put into the things that drive them and fuel them creatively. It's like that's a full, a cool fucking idea for a for a movie that's supposed to get the seven year old Timmy and forty year old dad to the fucking movie theater together. That, that that's cool, and they do it well every fucking time. But meanwhile, Despicable Me is like uh, here's the seventy fifth Minions movie where the guy is going to go poopy out of his bum bum and then 75 little fucking Gen Z kids from TikTok are going to show up to watch the movie and everyone's going to laugh at the meme. It's like, cool, you made money, that's awesome. You entertained audiences, that's cool. Glad people had a good time. But don't fucking tell me Illuminations is making good movies over here, okay? Because I, I, listen, I watch more movies about animated cars than you'll see in your goddamn life. I, I, I sit in traffic for an hour a day going to and from work. And I watch more animated cars in a day than I see real cars on the road sitting in traffic, okay? This man knows his animated movies. And Illuminations is not... Illumination is not it. Illuminations is awesome. Illuminations is an old nighttime spectacular at Epcot. Bring it back, baby. All right, Temple Knight, thank you for your time. Sorry if I've offended you. Just know that I love you in other ways. But if you're going to sit here, try to act like minions or... Fuck you. I love you. But fuck you. Also... Try that, try that double steak burrito from uh, from Taco Bell. It is, it is damn good. It is genuinely is damn good. All right, guys, that's gonna do it for our comments this week. That's gonna do it for our podcast this week. Remember, for next week, don't be shy. Reply. And uh, as we round out a two and a half hour episode of Xbox On, didn't intend for it to go that long, but we had a lot to talk about. I, I say it's time to come to a close. If anyone is here that has not been offended personally attacked by me today i just want to say thank you for making it this far into the podcast thank you for listening thank you for supporting if you have the time the propensity the desire to do so it would mean a lot to me if you would go to itunes in particular if you're an apple user or any podcast service if you're not an apple user leave a five-star review if you leave anything less than a five-star review you can go fuck yourself and if you are on youtube leave a like subscribe we're trying to hit a thousand subscribers on youtube we're very close we're at about 940 something and uh, leave a comment. I love to hear from you guys. I love engaging with you guys. It is genuinely my favorite part of Xbox On, so I'd appreciate any and all feedback possible. Just make sure it's positive because I have a very, very, very thin ego and it's easily bruised. So that's it for this week. I hope you guys have a wonderful week. Clearly, we have tons of great games to get to in the coming days. So whether you're playing Persona, Gotham Knights, Modern Warfare 2, New Tales from the Borderland, Plague Tale Requiem, I don't care. Have a great week. Enjoy your gaming. Spend some time with people you love. Enjoy some beautiful fall weather. Get get ready for the spooky season. And uh, be well. And until next week, power your goddamn dreams. Mm-hmm.